If you didn't know it until now, you are the Common Sense Nation. And this is Radio Free Almond. Good morning, you bunch of drunks. I'm getting with it. I'm getting the lingo down. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm getting being around this whole gaslight environment. I'm really getting the musical stuff down. Really? I even know how to play the guitar. So I don't know whether you knew that or not. There's video evidence. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. audio slave, y'all. <laughs> you know, um, really sad. I can't. What, who, what are they going to blame on the kid with three arms now? I mean, you can't say the word Monsanto anymore. Monsanto doesn't exist anymore. That's right. What are you going to blame for all of the world's environmental ills now 
that Bayer, in its takeover on Monsanto, now says it's no longer going to use the word Monsanto. Monsanto is no longer a name. What are you going to do? I'll tell you, man, when this first happened, when Bayer first took him over, I knew that eventually that was going to go by the wayside. Now, Bayer believes that by not using the word Monsanto anymore, that maybe there's a chance that all of the people who complain about Monsanto will go away. Because how can you complain about Bayer when Bayer hasn't done anything except make aspirin or do whatever they do? I'm sure they do other stuff, too. But what are you going to do now? It's no longer... What was that? That door just went open there, dude. I saw it. I heard it. Mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't the uh, Radio Free Allman. This is another edition of Scooby Doo. There's a ghost over there. What's going on over there? That door just popped right open. That's the ghost of Monsanto uh, yeah. coming through. <laughs> I'm not dead. I'm Monsanto. You know, here's the other thing. The, the Post-Dispatch, when they did the article about the whole thing, when they did the article about Bayer, they talked about Monsanto being some kind of tainted brand. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I get that there's some controversial things about Roundup or whatever, mm-hmm. but the good things that Monsanto has done for this world and indeed for even our environment, for world hunger and for everything else, I, I can't believe that somehow – it's been decided that Monsanto is a brand to be ashamed of, mm-hmm. at least when, as far as the post is back. And it also talked about the fact that Monsanto is very covetous of its seeds. Oh, absolutely. And people act as if that's a bad thing when Monsanto is covetous of its seeds. But people forget that Monsanto owns the seeds. They right. develop the seeds. They're right. the ones that do all the things they do with the seeds. And so their big deal with the farmers is, hey, we don't want you kind of peddling this or using it over again or doing any of that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's an unreasonable stance to take when it comes to what Monsanto is doing. I mean, but, but they're, they're at, the, the Post and other people act as if this is some kind of evil corporation oh, yeah. to be mm-hmm. sent packing somehow. Yep. And I take a completely different approach. I, for instance, have never forgotten going one time to the uh, Monsanto's plant sciences. The, the, the Danforce are kind of involved mm-hmm. in all that. I don't have any of their money, but I definitely have their pride in Monsanto. And I remember this guy showing me this, this seed they developed that has a um, built-in pesticide, essentially. So, so the, the, they develop, like, for instance, cotton plants things like that, that are pest-resistant. And if you can imagine what that's like, not only for the farmers that don't have their their crops chewed up and their entire livelihood put down, when you imagine, though, what they can do also for the food supply, which they have done, which they've, they've developed seeds and hybrids and things like this, yeah. that where you can grow stuff to eat, in places where otherwise it would be decimated by disease or decimated by pests or whatever. And so third world countries have been benefiting greatly from 
the technology developed by Monsanto. Oh, I believe they didn't. They they made a hybrid of corn. Uh, they they hybrided sorghum and corn, and so that in places where there was drought, that the corn would actually root deeper, like sorghum, does, right. and get more water. They, they've they've saved. I mean, they've saved a lot of lives by just bringing food to places where there's no water because right. they can engineer the, the the plants. I noticed that USA Today used the headline uh, "Monsanto Gone Bayer Killing" controversial name. Yeah, nice plant. Of yeah, well, Bayer's acting as if they're that's to be something to be embarrassed about yeah. when when that's the only reason they bought Monsanto is because Monsanto's a great company. Right. Yep. So so Bayer just pretending somehow that by being ashamed of Monsanto is somehow going to work is ridiculous. And plus, the only thing I was waiting for, because you talked about the corn hybrid and everything else, I was waiting for them to mix, like, for instance, a corn seed with the Planet of the Apes mm. and, and, and see what that was going to develop. Mm. You know, the plant sciences department. They were all they were, they were about to experiment on everything. What if we mix this with the Planet of the Apes? What will that look like? Hmm. That's... You got me there. Um, Were you afraid to go there? No. Because of what happened to Roseanne Barr? Are you afraid, to get, are you afraid you're going to get fired because you're, uh, you, you're wondering what it would yeah, be like man. if you mixed a, a, a cotton seed with the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> a cotton seed with the Planet of the Apes. You bet um, you'd have one soft ape. I'll tell you that. You would. You'd have a pettable ape right there. And white. And you know what? You would have a pettable ape with the cotton seed mixture and if you mix the corn with the Planet of the Apes, you'd have an edible ape. Edible apes. Yeah, that's right. But you'd have you have you would have ape on the cob. That would be that would be amazing. You know what I'm saying? With some butter. You want to go with farther some than butter, that? With what some if butter. you mixed what if you mixed a what if you mixed a banana seed with the Planet of the Ape? Then you wouldn't know what to do. You'd have an ape that ultimately yeah. would peel himself and eat himself, yeah, and that would eradicate the apes altogether. You wouldn't even have to. You wouldn't even have to have the Planet of the Apes movie. We'd know the ending already because at the end, the ape peels himself and devours himself. <laughs> wow! You I, realize this is all done without drugs. I do. Okay, and that so is know. amazing. I really think this way. That is amazing. Like, I do this without any kind of mind-altering mm -hmm. uh, drug, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. except for maybe a little B12 and a little bit of coffee. Maybe it's the combo. <laughs> right. I'm mixing coffee with the Planet of the Apes. What do you think? That, that's what you get is me. <laughs> By the way, Paul Kirkman's going to be coming. You better stay with me, buddy. I'm with you. You better hang here. I'm with you. Telling you, you I didn't you gotta, see that coming. What just happened? You're never right going to see. I, I got news for you. Mm -hmm. You're never going to see anything coming. Okay. Okay. Well, you need I, to get used to that factor. Okay. Because I guarantee everybody out there on Facebook, I got to sign in and see. I haven't been keeping up with the, the comments. I feel bad. I'm gonna. I, I you know. Yeah. But yeah, you gotta. You gotta be. Uh, you gotta be with me, dude. Because these okay. people who who listen regularly, as you do, you know, you know what the deal I is. I definitely there. do. You and, do. Uh, let me just get. Let me. I'm trying to get to my page. I want to be able to respond to people while they are uh, on the airways. We've got Paul Kurtman coming in. You know, Paul is. Uh, I hear good things about Paul Kurtman. Paul's yeah, he's running for auditor, and he's a good guy. Been around a long time. I remember him when he first started, mm -hmm. and when he was first elected as a state rep and uh, former Marine. I guess is there really what are they? What are the, what's the, what's the whole thing? Is it an ex-Marine, former Marine? 
I don't know. You're once a Marine, always a Marine. So I just call him Marine. Yep. But anyway, served our armed forces very well. And so now he's running for state auditor and a good guy. And he's going to be in the studio with us. Also, my friend Gia Valenti, it was interesting last night, uh, we're, as we develop and widen out the Radio Free Almond show, uh, Gia Valenti is one of those individuals who I want to have with me in the... Uh, wait a minute, let me see something here. Are we, are we, are we up on the live stream on, on the Facebook page? Oh. Where am I then? Why, why don't I see us? Oh, there we are. Hi. Oh, hi. Hi, people. I'm just looking here. Hang on. Hang on. So the uh, Gia Valenti is a person who, a, a mom, and who is 25 years on the Muni stage as a dancer. And it, it just kind of like, you know, Italian through and through. So she took it upon herself. She finally noticed that her kids were, and other kids around them, were essentially addicted to their technology, their phones, whatever. And so she developed this new brand called Learning with Moxie, which she's trying to get into all the schools and everything else, teaching kids how to engage in other ways that take them away from Snapchat and all this kind of stuff. She's going to explain all that. So anyway, I wanted to hook her up with uh, Suzanne Vanker, and hey, Scotty. Oh, there's Gia. See, Gia's on with us right now. Donna, what's going on? How you doing? I've been remiss kind of with the live thing, with the Facebook Live and uh, mm-hmm. talking to people because they have ideas and they mm-hmm. put forth things. And I, I don't, I, I, I sometimes look at them after the show. I'm thinking, I wish I would have been able to. Yeah. I wish I would have responded. Now, I'm busy, so I can't always respond, but, uh, but I don't always, you know, uh, yeah, hey, I, I don't always get to to say hello to folks. So everybody is live and thanks thanks for being with us. So I'll watch that too. I did meet Gia actually at the uh happy hour here. She I believe I met Gia, her yeah. outside. She um, met she met you. Out. Okay. Yeah. She remembers you. And and so she and I wanted to get her together with Suzanne Vanker. Now Suzanne Vanker is a very well known local author. And I wouldn't call her conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat or anything else, if you go to SuzanneVanker.com and, let's see, her official site, you'll see where she has all these great books. One of them is The Alpha Female's Guide to Men and Marriage, and she debunks all these myths about the patriarchal conspiracy, and she's really, like, just hammers these people who try to promote this weird feminist idea that men are not worthy and that, and that men shouldn't exist or or if they existed everything would be fine or she also uh, reinforces the the importance of family and even uh, lauding stay-at-home moms all kinds of things like that and and so she's been out there getting her hands dirty so I decided listen you got to meet uh, it, it, listen to this her, her one of her posts from April 30th this is Suzanne Banker <laughs> I see it. men called they want their balls back so, th- so this is a good example of what Suzanne Fanker's yeah. all about, and she's going to be on with us next week, and probably a very regular part of the show as a, as one of our culture warriors, so to speak. So she, so I, I since Suzanne's been around this for a long time, and Gia is kind of new to the game, I thought, oh, these two have to meet because this is going to be, you know, this is going to be great. And I have to hook them up because at least Suzanne could even help Gia 
because I think she wants to write some books. Develop and, think, some, and, and that, mm-hmm. yeah, just kind of know the lay of the land. And plus, there were two peas in the pot, having known Suzanne for a long time and really appreciating all of her work. And here's another one. An open letter to the American men. Here's what strong women want. It, it, she's great. It's it's Suzanne Venker, V-E-N-K-E-R.com uh, is the website. It's a great website. And so it really is. Mm-hmm. And she's got a ton of books out there. And she's nationally known. She's been interviewed on Fox and everything else. Okay. But she's much better, in my opinion, just talking at a length of time than anything else. So anyway, I bring these two together. And whoa, whoa, whoa. Was yep. this a match? That's and great. so... I want them, ultimately, both of them, to do a show together on Radio Free Allman. I think they could pull off a show every single day. Time would be of the essence, but they're great. So G is going to be in. And so we, we, were, we got together at 6.30. And by 10.30, we still had not basically finished. And last that's night? the kind of night. Yeah, last night. Okay. So it, it was just, okay. it was really a great, uh, great get-together and just left it thinking, all right, I have two rock stars here. Mm-hmm. And I also believe, too, that I, I want to kind of mix it up. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, the gender, I, you know, we don't have to, okay, here's a female there, there's a male there. I'm not like that. But it, it's great to have that infusion of that blood. And so I'm developing a show for them or with them for them to have on. On a regular basis, when when Gia gets in here, she'll uh, she'll talk to us about more about all that and about her plans. Don't forget too, we've got the big gigantic festival coming up on Saturday, as well as the book signing with Doug Giles. Friday, five thirty to eight is the book signing with Judge, and I also believe that Suzanne and Doug Giles would get along famously, too, because she's kind of the female version of Doug Giles with all of her writings and things like that, and with him writing Pussification, which is the pussification of the American male and raising righteous and rowdy daughters and rules for radical Christians. Those two would be one hell of a little team, too. So anyway, she's not in town, so she's not going to be able to be there. But anyway, he's going to be signing those books uh, that's going to be Friday at Missouri Athletic Club West from 5.30 to 8. And we're going to have a little side room there. There are going to be co- cocktails and soft drinks available to you. Doug's going to be able to sell the books, sign the books. I, I think they didn't send me enough books, but I, we'll see. I, 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 I'm serious. I got some books. I'm looking at this box of books. I'm thinking, you're going to need a bigger boat, buddy, as they said in Jaws. And then 5.30 to 8, maybe afterwards we might uh, – you know, Peter Pfeiffer is setting us up with uh, these uh, – these cigars that Doug Giles been looking yeah, for. So yeah. Pfeiffer mm-hmm. set us up with some of those. Mm-hmm. So we might smoke a cigar or something after it all is said and done out there on the patio. And then on Saturday from 12 to 6 is the Warrior and the Wild Man, Radio Free Allman, Throwdown Palooza with all of the food trucks there, Russo's, Q and the Lou, and we also have the Kona Ice people. Phil's going to be doing the music there. I've been thinking about a couple things with the music, buddy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Like, I've got some, I think there's going to have to be... Disco? Uh, I think there's going to have to be a little karaoke type of stuff. Oh, okay, we can going do that. On. We're going to have to figure right. something else mm-hmm. out there. And we've got that going on, and we have the Naputi Wellness uh, Pediatric Kids area there. So there's the bounce house and face painting, all that kind of stuff. 
and we're going to be grabbing the microphone from Phil and yakking away and, and just having a good old time together. Billy Bush has given me a crap load of craft dig beer. Uh, we're going to wristband you, and then you're going to be in the door to grab uh, a beer or two if you want that. And it's just all legal stuff we have to go through, just in case you get all a snout full and get all crazy. We could say, well, we can sold him a wristband. Gee whiz. Hell. What else could, What else are we going to do? And that's going to be at Discovery Design. Thank you to Rick and Jerry Pogue over there. You know them from Arrowhead Building Supply, but Discovery Design is their truck version of the building uh, that they do. They'll build any kind of truck, any kind of rig, uh, any kind of rig that's ever been made. Go in the back roads so they wouldn't get weighed. Oh. Now, they also have the... Uh, Blue Lives Matter truck they're going to have out there because they have these conveyors that they dress up as in these beautiful colors and things. They got one for veterans. They've got one for police. And so that's going to be out there. It's going to be a pretty big ass. They yell, yell. And then before that, there's something going on, right? I'm going to stop by there because the governor's going to be in town. And so we're hoping to get Mike Parson to stop by too after their shindig there uh, with the Missouri Republican Party, so right, and the, some representatives will be there. Um, I know another candidate for the auditor position, and such will be there. Sandra McDowell, Sandra, yeah, all that stuff. It's uh, so it's a big day for uh, conservative party goers. That's right on for, for people to have a good old time. You can, yeah, love the story coming out of Washington D.C. where Trump has basically told the Eagles to take a hike. He said, you know, listen, if you guys are going to go ahead, if you're going to if you're going to come and you're going to make this all about politics. And this is this is if, in case you've forgotten, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, yeah. which which pretty much everybody had to be reminded that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Because most if you asked somebody just off the street who won the Super Bowl, chances are pretty good. A lot of people would have forgotten. Right. That's just like who who won the World Series last year? Yeah. No. I'm not that guy. I don't know anything about I think sports. it was Houston, but I don't See, know. you don't, yeah, even, I don't, I don't, I don't even feel know. so bad. Well, I know it wasn't the Cardinals. So President Trump said, you know what? I'm calling off this Philadelphia Eagles visit, this dispute over some of these guys, whether they're going to come or not come or not arrive. He wasn't going to allow them the forum to utilize this White House vision as, as some way to just simply – jack him up and jack the White House up. So I'm really happy that he said, you know what, we're just not going to have this meeting and, and we're basically done with all this mm-hmm. and uh, forget about it. Yeah. He said the statement that uh, the, some members of the championship team disagree with him over the national anthem. And so he said, and this is his quote, which I thought was pretty ballsy. Uh, they disagree with their president because he insists that they – this is him talking to about himself in third person, which is fantastic. Dis- they disagree with their president uh, yeah. because he insists that they proudly stand for the national anthem, hand on heart, in honor of the great men and women of our military and the people of our country. And so he said, you know what, then, then why don't none of you show up here because I've, I've pretty much had enough with all of this garbage. Now, as you know – the there was a suggestion somehow that the NFL change its rules and penalize a team like 15 yards or 20 yards if they didn't stand for the national anthem. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I, I don't really necessarily think that that's necessary. To me, the teams ought to have the guts to go ahead 
and penalize their own players if they don't want them to stand for the national anthem. Now, you're thinking, well, isn't this a free speech issue? Well, it kind of is in the context of the comportment and the rules of the team. If if you sign a contract and the rules say that you must stand for the national anthem, which I don't think is in a contract, but the team is able to dictate your behavior on and off the field to a certain degree, then they can dictate what you do. Now, people will say, yeah, but Almond, isn't that what you did with with 97.1? I'm like, no, uh, those morons didn't have cause to fire me, and we'll right. prove that. They had no cause whatsoever, and in fact, had no problem with anything up until Sinclair did their deed, which mm-hmm. Sinclair did have a contract. I did have a contract with them, and Sinclair's contracts are so restrictive that if if they don't like the way your hair looks, they can fire you. Right. So that's just the way. But you knew things. that when you signed. Of it. course, yeah. So. And Sinclair, you know, and that that show was going to end in June anyway. I really wasn't, it, you know. I mean, it was beer money. It, I really didn't. People were like, thought that was like the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's like not really. I my main job was radio, and those guys had no cause whatsoever. Now, if in the if in the contract it said. You must behave on Twitter or must not say anything that will offend Stacey Newman on Twitter, mm-hmm. then you'll then we'll let you go. Then that's fine. I would be able to but but, but they didn't have cause and we're gonna be shoving that right up their rear ends because they didn't have cause at all. And so so but so that's different. Uh, and again, a, a company like Disney, for instance, they had every right to cancel Roseanne Barr's show. Absolutely. I didn't think they should have, but they had every right to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They had every right to do it, and I wish they hadn't because the the, the market would have played itself and shown. You know, it, it's uh, that that reaction I think is more harmful to the process than just letting it right. play out. Where I think then you end up with a better result. Um, it was sad watching that go down because the other cast members and all the other people that kind of ended up unemployed because of it. But uh, and, well, she, and, and she know- begged for her. She begged. Yes. you didn't do that right. she did that she begged and pleaded with them not to fire her not to end the show and they did it anyway so it would be it seemed unreasonable if not just reactionary it seemed unreasonable after she had made a formal apology she came out publicly she took the heat and then they still well it was their it. it was their attempt to basically sacrifice another scalp to the liberal left-wing yeah. mob yeah. which by the way is in action over in O'Fallon school district we'll talk about that in just a little bit but that's and, and you know what would have happened when you we talk about the market playing out you know what would have happened right the, the show would have been a hit again oh yeah advertisers would have stuck with it advertisers weren't going to leave as it was right mm-hmm. now and the season was going to start again in September or something right. like that and they would have just simply the, 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 it would have died out yep. But they didn't want that to play out that way because they needed to make some kind of sacrificial donation to the left-wing Frady Cats out there and the people who are overly sensitive. And again, do I think that comparing a black woman to an ape is right? No. Hell no. I, I don't believe that at all. But but the reality is it's not deserving of somebody being fired. It just no. isn't. And, no. and and there's under no circumstances is it. Or, or to have a show canceled. But again, it's Disney's prerogative to do that. But we know why they did it. They did it because they wanted to appease the mob. Yeah. And, and, and it would have blown over, which is exactly what they did to me at 97.1. Because mm-hmm. right now, they are suffering greatly. And, and will ultimately, we believe, 
and I hope it doesn't happen, but that's what's in the offing as 97.1 has moved the case now to federal court because they want to play around in federal court with yeah. me. And they might pursue an injunction to stop Radio Free Almond, mm-hmm. which will have a bunch of different ramifications. But of course they have to do that because they are bleeding profusely mm-hmm. and nobody's going near them. And I don't think, unfortunately, David Field, the CEO who runs Entercom, the company that owns 97.1, cares a whit about what's happening over there because if they lose money, they'll just make other people pay for it. And so, mm. but but that's the problem is if the market, if they had let the market play out and, and even if they wanted to suspend me, which of course they wouldn't have cause even then to have suspended me, but let's say they did, bringing me back, because my advertisers were all wanting to double up in support of me, we would have gained new advertisers. I know for a fact that the guys from Tactical, uh, did, did they use the S-H-I-T? Because anyway, I knew those guys said explicitly that if they bring you back, we will start advertising on your show. So they were gaining advertisers and they were gaining money. So that's what would have been the scenario had they actually kept me. But that's all water under the bridge and and. I don't even. That's that's like that'd be like going back to using a a, a, a horse drawn thresher on the farm. It does seem as opposed to history. a tractor. Yeah. yeah so does. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. But nonetheless, they. Uh, that's the problem is they don't people don't let the market play out, right. but they don't want the market to play out because David Field, the CEO of Entercom, his most important thing to do was kiss up to the left wing mob because he has radio stations all over the country. And didn't want that on his back. He didn't want that this this whole tweet, whatever it was, on his back. Which was, man, the more you think about that I'm thing, it's it, like unbelievable. Every day it gets more ridiculous. Uh, it, yeah, every day. That's right. And much like every day, Roseanne Barr's tweet will become more ridiculous mm-hmm. because she's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and nobody thought differently of her that she wasn't ridiculous before all this. So that's how it all played out. That. Tweet, unfortunately, more so for her than what it immediately caused. It it called attention to the earlier photo that was released from years ago uh, from that magazine shoot where she had the uh, the Nazi regalia in the the oven open with the tray of cookies out. You have not seen that photo? Well, no. Oh, it's a very famous picture. And, oh. Uh, it was just a joke, you know. Well, I mean, she went crazy years ago. She married two people at the same time. She was on all kinds of drugs. She's all kinds of problems. So nobody my age, at least, I think, is too surprised that she would tweet something like that. Although I don't think that she meant it in a racist way when she did it. Uh, so what was that? What was the? What was the exact purpose of being? Um, I see. I, one thing. Mm, I one thing. I never. Bad, Jamie. <laughs> one thing I was. Ne- I never able to. Was never able to really get. Is I don't get. I mean, I understand like when. Charlie Chaplin did The Great Dictator, right? right. A- and that was a movie, though, that was steeped in its own time zone. Uh, that was when was Hitler was around. Still walking I mean, the earth, yeah. yeah. It was kind mm-hmm. of like... So, so I could see dressing up in Nazi uniforms and being ridiculous mm-hmm. would be funny then. And obviously, it's a comical reflection on history and, and the time. But for the life of me, I can't figure out the whole, let's dress up as a Nazi, I think that will be funny thing. It's, I don't get it's that. It's a one of a kind picture, um, and it's they say it's for a magazine. I don't know what magazine. What magazine is that? That's what I don't understand. You know, skinhead Nazi monthly, monthly. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So she's got the mustache, and she. If you haven't seen this picture, if anybody, you can just Google. You know, 
Roseanne Nazi cookies or whatever. It, it's going to pop up. But that picture was yeah. around when they gave her right. the show. I know. That's what I'm saying. It, it's it, it's so obviously an ebb and flow of uh, of mo- the motivation is some kind of a gain in the market. It's it's de- it's all nobody really cares, and I think racism is dead. I think it's just a card people play now to to move a ball one way or the other up and down a field. And I think even with your tweet. It was still just all in the moment. It was a spark. They have to play into the spark. Uh, and if they, if they miss their chance, then it's all gone because nobody really actually cares, even if they did our inten- attention span is All right, so you listen, you listen to the show for yeah. uh, the long 17 years, right? All of them. All right, so, and even I've been on the air and I've said things and I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, are you kidding me? Mm. Nobody thought that was horrible. Oh, God. I mean, I don't know how many times I've opened my mouth yeah. on the air thinking to myself, I can't believe there's not more outrage about what I just, just said. just came out of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's I just, looked it's over at my wife like, did he just do that? And <laughs> I know. like, he did. I mean, that's yeah. what's, that's what's, mm-hmm. it's always been. And, and then it, it, this one thing. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like with, with Roseanne Barr and her little Nazi thing. ABC knew that was out there. But then this is the same company that anytime there's a role where they need a voice for a hyena or a donkey, they yeah. call up the black dude yeah. uh, for for the voice. So yeah. th- these guys are all yeah, hypocritical. That's a good point, man. And that's by true. the way, you talked about racism, mm-hmm. and and yeah, that's right. It's like call Chris, Chris right. Rock, and talk like a donkey. That's it's like exactly. oh, gotcha. Uh, that they're, they're the most. Disney is the mo- the biggest violator of stereotypes you're going to find. Anywhere in the Exploiter land, exploiter of yeah. You're oh right. yeah, Absolutely. of course. Because that's because you know what, stereotypes sometimes can be pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, it, it, depending on what happens, mm-hmm. and then depending on what you do, and sometimes stereotypes are real. Now, the black and the ape thing is not a stereotype. That's racism. All right. That's right. kind of like you know. Right. Oh no, blacks do look like it. No, no, right. not really. That's, that's just not that. Mm-hmm. That's basically racism. Ignorance based on racism. Yes. I guess. But but, yeah. but other times, you know, like just like just other stereotypes are kind of like are funny. I mean, even if you listen to a Chris Rock routine uh, about about uh, <laughs> even listen to the routine he has. I could probably play it on here since it's streaming radio, and no, I don't have. You any. certainly could. The where he talks about how blacks and whites kill differently. Yeah, I <laughs> and, heard. How, and and he, he's confounded by the fact that white mm-hmm. people, they, they it's not enough just to kill somebody over five dollars. They've right. got to kill people and eat them and eat them right, or put them in the refrigerator. There's right. always this thing where they're they, they 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 can't just be satisfied with some senseless killing. They have to actually kill somebody. And then dismember and then them or do whatever. Write about it and, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's funny, okay? I mean, and you know what? <laughs> that's true. It is. And, 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 and then he says, he talked about how, uh, on a more serious note, how interesting it is that, like, white people, like, kill their parents. Right. Like, very rarely do black people kill their parents or, for that matter, their babies. You know, uh, well, now... With the exception of maybe abortion, which is a high, there's a high rate in the black community. But you know what I'm talking about when it comes to the murder and all those other pathologies, they really don't. And that's not a that's not a racism. That's that's true. And Chris Rock is the one who pointed that out. Now you talked about racism earlier, Phil. You know what the uh, deal is with this. I love this guy from you know Fallon, who says, you know what, kiss my a. I'm not going anywhere. And people are calling for his resignation. And now apparently Islamophobia is some kind of crime. And, yep. and, and, and now apparently 
it's up to a bunch of goofball, radical, left-wing parents to decide what Islamophobia is. Now, keep in mind, Islamophobia is not a crime. Uh, it's unnecessary, but it's not a crime. It's not something that you should be fired over. And I don't even know what the hell Islamophobia is. Mm-hmm. Now, they've invented it as now a new word, and now it's a word that even the Post-Dispatch is throwing around. So we're going to deal with that yeah. on the other side of this break, and we'll also deal with uh, CBS and what they've been doing lately as they're talking about how President Trump, they're complaining about, and this is, I think, the beef against Trump now, is the is that he's unraveling Obama's, well, I don't know whether you call them achievements, but that's the big beef that people have against him is that he's just undoing what Obama has done. And I think we finally pinpointed there with CBS. Also, uh, Paul Kurtman coming in. Don't forget about this weekend's festivities right there on the Facebook page. You can see everything you need to see about times and what's going to be happening there and how you're going to get involved. Uh, Everything is free. Uh, Although we will be charging a nominal fee for the beer because we have to. But uh, and, and we'll have shirts and hats, and all. we'll have a new yeah. supply of shirts and hats, and we'll have bumper stickers out there that are going to be free. Awesome. And all that stuff, the new bumper, bumper stickers. You can see those right here. Oh, uh, yeah. You have one pasted to your little notebook. I do. Oh, look at Phil. He's got a little notebook. Um, what do you so take notes in there? Organized. Do you put notes in there? All because kinds of notes. I have, I, and I cover that by Apple on my computer with the RFA. <sighs> that's hot. I know, isn't it, though? Apparently, somebody said that's why I had so many problems with my computer yesterday. Oh, it was a sticker? By the way, too, I found an old Eric Greitens commencement speech that was very interesting that I'm going to bring up to you. And speaking of commencement speeches, you know what's making around now in May is a commencement speech from 2014. And I don't know whether you were able to ever see this thing, but this was one hell of a speech. And it was done by Admiral William McRaven, and it was it was at uh, in Texas at the University of Texas Austin. This is one. I'm going to play you. I think it's uh, about 15 minutes, but I'm going to go ahead and play it for you because it's a in this commencement day as we have Jimmy Fallon doing commencement addresses and uh, you know every Nancy Pelosi and all these kinds <laughs> of whiny commencement addresses. We're going to play you one that I believe you could just simply let this stand and let this play at any school on earth, even though it's already five years old, four years old, and you could, this stands the test of time. It's one hell of one. So we're going to give you a commencement speech to end all. We'll do that at 7 o'clock. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, come on now, our national anthem.
questi sono gli agli Okay. This song is, uh, I just recorded it and it, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, 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 uh, is it out? About two weeks. Two weeks to be out. Unchained Melody. From an album called Unchained Melody. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. How you like it so far?
That is... That's Elvis Presley, like, weeks before he died. Mm-hmm. A- and you, you watch this video, and I'll, I, I guess I could put it in the comment section, because you got to see this, man. It's just, just the most unbelievable thing, because when you, I played the whole thing for you, because you could, you could see how, how drug-addled he was. He, he could barely even stand or function, right? Goes over this piano, and it is... I, I, it's unbelievable what he pushed out there. I mean, it was, you got to see this to believe it. And and many of you who are Elvis fans probably have seen it already, but this was just virtually weeks before he died in 1977, in August of 77. And it is, his voice is unreal. And and, and, and listening to him talk like that, Mm -hmm. you're thinking, there's no way he's going to, he can't, there's no way he can pull this one off here. And I'll, I'll go ahead, and I, I'm going to copy the link. I'll put it in the comments section for you guys on Facebook to check it out. And uh, let me Yeah, that's surreal. Dude. That's surreal. And I, I can just tell you, I've, I've listened to a lot of Elvis, and I don't think I've ever heard him hit a falsetto note. I, I believe that's the highest note I've ever heard him hit. If Maybe he did that live more so in other songs, but I, I was wondering when you started playing it if he was going to chase that note or not, because that's the famous note that, that kills everyone when they try to yeah, sing that song. Right. And uh, and you're right. His voice sounds like it's never been stronger than that right there. And like you said, that was a couple of weeks before he passed away. But uh, that's amazing. And I love. There's at one point in the performance where he looks over at the musicians, and he's got this look on his face, and he knows he's just killing it. But it is really just. Uh, I, 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 it's just, it's an astounding bit. I think I just put it in there as a comment. Here, let me just see. I don't I can't tell. Let me just see a, here. The point where, like, when he'd move around the stage, like four random guys would just move with him just to make sure he makes it where he's going, like over to the piano, and they're all standing around him like he's Don Corleone. He's got this little group of there. It is because he was kind of unstable at the moment. I think. Well, he had all these guys. You know what was sad about it is he had all these guys who were standing around him, and I always wonder what was going through their minds because they, they were watching a guy who they'd been with for a long time, and they were seeing the end, basically. And, and, and I, I'm always wondering how confounded they must have been. I always, I'd love to hear from the guy, because there was a guy holding his mic at the time. He right. didn't even have a microphone attached right. to the piano. Right. So there was some dude, like one of his assistants, holding the microphone while he's singing into the microphone. And by the way, why wouldn't they have had a microphone at the piano? I, I don't can, know. I can tell you what my opinion is. What's that? That he he just, that was an improv moment. He decided, based on however many pills he took that day, at that exact moment, he was going to do that song, and they just weren't ready. It looked like they were unprepared. The band kind of didn't look like they knew at that exact moment he was going to walk over to that piano. But when Elvis decided to do that, that's what they all had to... And that's why there was no boom over there. Because otherwise there would have been a boom something over there, there for the yeah. king. He's going to sit down at the piano. Uh, yeah, there was something strange about that. I mean, as soon as I looked at it. it's an, I could watch it again like 10 times. Me too. Yeah. I did. Last night I was in this. I don't know how... And I still don't know how I, I do these... That's sometimes why I can't ever... I don't ever sleep. I I, I do these YouTube pong, Caught these loop. loops, and I'm like, uh, okay, what's that one? Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, wow. 
That's another one there. That's 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 interesting right there. And I just uh, was fascinated by this one, and I did watch that a number of times. Mm. I'm thinking, man, this is it's fascinating, amazing. So anyway, just, yeah, yeah, I put it up there on the uh, on, in the Twitter notes for you there, and and put it up there right there in the comment section, or not Twitter notes, but in the comment section of the Facebook post. So hope you guys uh, enjoy that. All right, so back to O'Fallon, and back to. Steve Springer. If any of you know him, I've been trying to get a hold of him to get him on the air and haven't quite been able to nail him down. He's a school board member in uh, District 90 there in O'Fallon. And uh, this is Fulton Junior High School. And basically, he had a real issue with a children's book that was being read to the kids in this library. And essentially, he said, listen, this book to me is problematic it's 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 a it's a platform for social indoctrination and that children this young shouldn't really be set up in this manner like for instance it's one thing to read about the work of martin luther king or to learn about him this kind of thing but the the book in question is a library book that was read in one of these kids sections there the 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 kids uh library sections where they hold these readings and things like that and you think they're going to read uh art of the deal you think they'll do that in the the library i don't think so so this is a book that is called justice makes a difference the story of miss freedom fighter esquire following a young girl named justice who learns about historic figures like charles hamilton houston paul robeson ida wells in a conversation with her grandma. And all Springer did was basically say, okay, basically this book, I get it, but there's this, there's this, what's going on over there? Is there something in the, in that, is, are we missing a plank in the, in the, um, in the floor over there? You guys, you guys have a plank problem over there? I keep hearing this plank. That? Yeah, what is that? It's right under my feet. Oh. I have to stand still. I apologize. It's okay. No, it's it's nothing. It's just, it's got to it's gotta be like, like I'm yeah. sorry. You guys have an extra nail. You might want to pound that in there. <laughs> anyway, so the the book, Springer is not really, uh, it says, <laughs> dude, you can't I'm laugh. I'm back. You can't, yeah. So Springer is not really, <laughs> is is just saying that, you know, listen, listen he questioned the book, okay? And questioned the contents of the book and said, essentially, this is really kind of an adult book. Uh, and, and this is really not a uh, a book that is appropriate for little kids to try to teach them somehow that uh, any kind of difference of opinion regarding race or whatever is somehow going to be then at that point a call for somebody to be called a bigot or that they're racist or whatever. Now, he did say in an email to somebody that um, that he said, uh, next up, you'll next be a place for Muhammad to wash his little feet and face Mecca three times during the school day. That was a that was an email he sent. To, it wasn't something that he was, you know. Right. And again, it's interesting how even the mere questioning of certain approaches to things in a school, or a mention of Mecca or what have you somehow calls for your resignation, your firing, your whatever, when day after day we see attacks on Christianity, 
We see the Joy Behars of the world and the people mocking Mike Pence. We see the actual attempts to erase Christianity from all aspects of public life. So why is it that at the same time it's okay because I, I guarantee you in the liberal mindset the infusion of any kind of Christian theme in any kind of public setting would have driven them crazy. If you had a book about little Johnny Christian and his name was Christian in the book as opposed to Justice, oh. how far do you think that book would go oh. in the school district there in O'Fallon? Yeah. So it's weird how there, the effort on the left is to eradicate any formulation or any sign of Christianity from the public square. Mm-hmm. And, and personally, on a side note there, Nine Killer, I'm not one of those, we need to bring back prayer in public schools. Like, I don't want anybody in public schools, well, my kids don't go to public schools, but, but if they were to go there, I, I don't think teachers are equipped to teach religion in public right. schools. So I wouldn't want I don't want religion taught in public schools. Now, is there is it interesting to to talk about all different kinds of religion, or if there, if there's a uh, course about religions of the world, like for instance, when I was a kid, we learned about the Enlightenment, right, and and, and all kinds of things like that. Martin Luther and the big, yes. the big events. And yeah, that. I mean, we we learned all the Reformation. Right. We learned all about that stuff as a part of history. So I'm not saying that that shouldn't be talked about, but the idea of actually teaching. The Bible, or you know, I, just teachers, public school teachers don't shouldn't have to do that, and I don't think many of them are equipped to do that. In all due respect to public school teachers, they but, aren't <clears throat> equipped, and they're not qualified, and they shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. So there's this effort then to eradicate any signs. Like if if you sang a religious Christmas song in a public school. These these same people would be the first to pounce on you and say, "Yo, you're you know this is this is uh, uh, separation of church and state, and you're trying to uh, to to indoctrinate kids into the Christian faith and blah blah blah." But at the same time, there's this effort to infuse, for whatever reason, the the Muslim faith right into schools. Or or for instance, there's there's this you have to have a prayer mat everywhere you mm-hmm. go. But if, if a Christian asks for, hey, can you please uh, hold mass wherever I'm standing? Right. It would never happen in a yep. million years. Oh, no. You couldn't even bring a Bible to school if you were a kid. And you, you would get, I think you'd be in trouble if you just brought a Bible in your backpack and, and it fell out on the ground and somebody saw it, you'd probably get. I'm learning because of you and the show and what's happened to you and then that a school board is not what I thought it was, at least in St. Louis, from what I'm seeing. The, the, what a school board appears to be to me in St. Louis, from what I've seen, is a, is a, a bubble of, um, <clears throat> of liberals, mostly, that are willing to uh, watch and try to keep uh, all, all the pieces lined up with, that they want in their, in their game. And if you use a trigger word like Islam or Muhammad or if you Mecca, if you use these words, that's the moment where they can you know, the spark again, the hysteria is when they make their move. That's what happened to you. It's all based in a moment of hysteria. That's what's going on with Mr. Springer there. And he apparently isn't having it. Well, school cool. boards, unfortunately, uh, well, they, they are extensions of lunatic parents. That's what it looks like. And, and, and they are duly elected. Uh, keep in mind, Springer was also duly elected. 
And when he was told he must resign, this guy, I don't know whether you've seen the videotapes of this guy at all of the uh, these school board meetings. He's got to stand there while people get up and start yelling at him and calling him a racist and everything else. And let me tell you something. Uh, most of us have pretty much had enough of the left-wing thuggery, whether it be on this side of the river or the other side of the river. And I'm glad there are people like Springer saying, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. You could sit here and mouth off and call me all kinds of names and and accuse me of being Islamophobic or whatever. And I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. And that's just the bottom line. And so I thought that was really pretty interesting in terms of how we finally have somebody who's saying, I'm not doing this and I'm not going to basically be the person who's going to uh, to cower to the mob, and it's about time we had more people like that. And unfortunately, though, in these school boards and 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 in schools, it's basically they'll they'll yell at you until they run you out. Yeah. And so far, he's not going anywhere. And it, we expect that if you don't like the guy, don't elect him again. That's what we. That's how it works. But they 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 have campaigns. They smear people. They smear people that they see in grocery stores. On a daily basis, that are right there in their community, they they say really horrible things about them. And this is a guy that just doesn't think a six year old needs to know about desegregation. Uh, I tend to agree; a six year old doesn't really need to learn about desegregation and segregation and these types of issues. That's what the book's about. The book's about basically showing how, in the past, in this country, egregious crimes were committed against minorities and philosophies were persecuted towards, you know, European Anglo. These are things I my, my children didn't learn when they were six and seven years old and didn't really learn until their minds were capable of balancing counter thought to, uh, to, to trigger words like these. These are, this is the more I've read of this story, just from you talking about it, this guy better hold his ground because he's got a good, this is a good one. He ought to. I mean, and, and, mm-hmm. and the thing is the, these, these libraries, when they do these readings, these are not readings, they're sessions. Uh, they're indoctrination sessions, mm-hmm. and they're designed to infuse a sense of fear and guilt into the student population. Mm-hmm. This, and again, I see nothing wrong with telling young children that prejudice is wrong. I see nothing wrong with reminding children there was a time in our lives, and unfortunately, hell, I, I you know. I was a year old before blacks got the vote in this country. That's a terrible thing. But I'm not, I'm not, but I'll talk to my kids about that. Thank you very much. I don't need them to be dragged into a library and presented with, here's the book of the month or whatever. Everybody be quiet. Sit there and listen. Yeah. Yeah, That's, 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 I can see why he's mad. This picture of him pointing his finger and standing at that podium is, is, is epic. And if that's what he, you know, he looks like one of those guys that's, uh, I could be wrong, but he looks like the Vietnam veteran era mm-hmm. kind of guy. And I hope those guys, like they've really watched, I think they've had a really interesting perspective on watching sort of the way things are broken down from when they were teenagers. And they're probably, uh, he's probably a grandpa and he's probably just tired of it. And uh, more I, baby know. boomers with balls, yeah, right. please. There you go. Thank you very well much. That's, That's what, what we meant. need because too many of them are raising their kids mm-hmm. to be a bunch of pansies. Yep. And so finally, we have a guy out there who's standing up for, in my opinion, what's right. And again, the book, if you, if you read it and look at it, it basically is a book telling children how bad Whitey is. 
that's pretty much what the book is about. And, and, and at, at some point when you're six and that's the book you choose to read to kids, come on now. Of all the books out there, of all for six-year-olds, of all the children's books out there, why you have to have a book about some mini social justice warrior right. is beyond me. Now listen to this, though. This is on MSNBC. And even when liberals... Because there are liberal Islamophobes out there, so to speak, or liberal racists out there, if you, if, if you can imagine. But even when that's brought up as a subject on MSNBC, they figure out a way to blame it on Republicans. All right? Listen to this. That Sabrina brought up about this becoming more mainstream. I know that you recently wrote an article for The Guardian, and it actually has a really interesting uh, point to it, which is that there is Islamophobia on the rise among uh, the liberals— uh, in what is called liberal Islamophobia, saying it was more insidious. By the way, what is Islamophobia? I mean, like, for instance, when, when you question some of the tenets of a religion, when, when you have people who are dying at the rate they do at the hands of Muslims, and again, I'm not one of those people who believe, I, I'm not a person who's going to sit here and go to the mat about how Islam is a violent religion per se, because I know that there are 7 million Muslims, I think, approximately in the United States. And if indeed that was the sum total of the religion that it just teaches you to behead people, we'd have a lot more heads rolling in the streets in, in the U.S. as far as I'm concerned. So there are plenty of Muslims out there who are any more than we, we as Christians are not stoning adulterers, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not going to go to the mat on the whole. But, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you don't question like, huh, I wonder why most of the terrorism in this country is committed by Muslims. Is that Islamophobic to say that or even to bring that up or to, or to question whether or not uh, there are radical Muslims who are about? We've had countless deaths, whether it be in the U.S. or whether it be overseas, at the hands of Muslims. That's a matter of fact. Yeah. That's not Islamophobia. No. One of my best friends in the world is a Muslim and went to his wedding, you know, I mean, I been friends with him for a very long yeah. time and yeah. I understand he's, he's a Palestinian and he, you know, he's grown up here and his family still lives in Ramallah and he has, you know, a different perspective. So I've had really great discussions with him about this, but Islamophobia is nothing. It doesn't exist. It's a word that was invented. We were warned about this by guys like Chris Hitchens way before this happened. It would be a word that would be used to manipulate and just just to serve the purpose. There's no such thing as... I'm a definitionist. I like when a word actually is what it is, and to put phobia behind a word as a, as a, as a suffix uh, doesn't work for me. Well, it, it's a it, pure invention is what it is. And what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're, you're basically just creating something out of, out of nothing. You might as well say, uh, you know... African Americanophobia or right. something like that because that, that and that's coming. Homophobia right. is a ridiculous word. That's coming and mm-hmm. and that's the problem with this is because it's become the new racism now. So anytime you dare question anything about the Muslim faith or about why there are Muslims killing so many people out there, that would be determined to be Islamophobia. And by the way, why is it such a crazy thing to even make fun of Islam. Like, why, why is it, like, people make fun of Christianity all the time. I love laughing about the Pope's slippers. 
What, what the hell's is is that somehow uh, being anti-Catholic or whatever? When I when I make fun of the Pope's slippers, uh, do I do I have real feelings sometimes? Like when I'm at an airport and I'm flying, and I see somebody mm-hmm. in a whatever garb they're wearing, right. do I take a second look? Right. I do. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, but I do. That's not Islamophobia. That's death phobia. That's afraid of explosion phobia. Hijackophobia. That's that's a different thing. You're not afraid of a person because they have a faith system that believes in, you know, uh, some faith that you don't understand. Or I don't think that misunderstanding or confusion should be lumped in with fear because fear allows us to react in all kinds of ways. You know, fear is irrational state. Right. And we're not irrational when we talk about Muhammad or the Quran or the Hadiths or the, the Mullahs or who are all aging out basically, which is what's really happening. I think is most, I believe the Muslim faith is doing the same thing that the Catholic faith. Another thing, there's a large movement towards secularism and they're probably just feeling it just like we are. So, well, that's why they go the, the, and it's a, it's also a matter of fact that the, the Muslims go where secularism is most prominent. And That's if you look problem. at the situation, for instance, in Germany and France, Germany is a great example of that. And part of the problem with that is that Germany is so stung by their history uh, as nationalists that any insinuation uh, of anything remotely related to nationalism is erased from German society and Germans. German is a great example of that because they have become so squishy and they have become so secularized. the The, the churches in Germany are virtually non-existent yep. because the churches were also then tied to nationalism and and they're so stung by the whole Nazi thing. Yep. You can't you can't get on a tour bus without the Germans apologizing for the Holocaust. And 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 again. The Holocaust was horrible, but I don't believe that every modern German ought to preface everything with "I'm sorry about the Holocaust." But but the reality is, many it's a known fact that Islam, especially overseas, now there's there's a, there's more of a an Americanized or a localized practice of Islam that's different than the practice of Islam in other areas in other parts of the world where it is clearly more radical and it's by the book. And if you do it by the book, the sum goal of Islam is to spread. That's what you do. Spread, convert, spread, convert. Mm -hmm. And if they don't convert, you kill. That's how that works. That's not me being Islamophobic. That's me telling you how these people think. And so it's almost like when a fungus attacks a weak tree. That's what many people in overseas Islam activity, that's what they do in terms of how they get in. That's how they spread. That's how they procreate. That's how they build their systems by taking over much like a fungus takes over a wounded or sick tree. And eventually the tree topples and you take it over. And if you don't listen to me about this, just look what's happening in Germany, where where there there's such pansies over there, and Merkel is such a so afraid of being German that they've just opened their borders and allowed their towns to be taken over to the point where women can't even wear bathing suits at some public pools because some mooge is going to go and grope them or make comments about them. Yeah. That's not 
that's not made up. That's no. real. That's real. And they have, and they have, they have uh, these New Year's Eve celebrations and things like that, where they've got, you know, where where pretty much you've got like a one in one hundred chance of being raped or yeah. attacked at mm-hmm. at a at a festival outside in in Germany. Yeah, that's trouble. The UK is just as bad. The mayor of London is doing no favors to the people there. That Germany may never recover from what Merkel has allowed to happen. That may be generational before they're able to recover from the. Inf- the, what's happened to Germany, but 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 London and the UK are. If we, when you talk about Islamophobia, where that word has weight, I would say London would be the place of all places where they're actually putting people in jail now for tweets, for oh, writing, yeah. for writing things. There are places in London where, and and indeed even in Paris, there are Muslim neighborhoods where basically police just don't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they'll be attacked or whatever, okay. and and in fact, I think London's population, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, now predominantly Muslim. Yeah. I believe in London it is. But anyway, this guy who wrote for the Guardian, listen to how he decides he's going to kind of address the issue of liberal Islamophobia. Yes, then right wing bigotry. Uh, why do you say that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, above all, it's dangerous to sort of caricature Islamophobia as something specifically coming from the right. I mean, it's more explicit. You know, it's more brazen on the right with politicians like Trump and with personalities like. So, first of all, he was on to something there for a second when he said, oh, you can't just blame it on the right. But so he was he, he came in with his butt monkeyism. Mm. And so, oh, by the way, I'm not calling him a monkey. Mm. OK, mm. I'm calling him a butt monkey. Mm. And there's a difference between a monkey and a butt monkey. A butt, 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 butt monkey is a butt. That's a butt monkey. I'm not calling him a monkey, just so you know. But he says that Trump is Islamophobic. Now, uh, because President Trump wants to curb immigration and migration from countries that are known hotbeds of terrorism, which is, to me, that's not Islamophobic. Uh, that is just simply protecting your borders the way you ought to and protecting your people the way you ought to uh, from the executive branch, where actually the president has broad, almost uncomfortably broad immigration powers to, 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 to say who comes here and who doesn't. If he didn't, if, and you wouldn't want this, but if the president didn't want redheads coming into the U.S., he could basically, by the powers afforded him by Congress, he could basically say, no more redheads coming into the, into the country. Now, that would be a problem uh, because a redheaded guy, yeah, okay, you can stay out. But you can't, you can't ban redheaded women from coming into this country. That would be a I wouldn't danger. support that. What would Bruce personally. Springsteen do right. if, if you banned redheaded women? So I would carve out that little area there where you, you, if you're going to ban redheads, only the men – and not the women. So anyway, he could do that. If he wanted to do that, he has broad powers afforded him by the Constitution to do that. He could, he could say no one with a beard comes. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. And, and that was given to him, to the executive branch. It was given to Obama, too, by Congress. It's all there in black and white, and, and look it up yourself. He has the ability to decide who comes in here, and he has, indeed, the obligation. He has sworn taken an oath to protect Americans. That's the bottom line. And if that means saying, you know what, Yemen's kind of a crap hole, 
and 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 we're going to stop this whole program where we basically give these free visas away to countries. I mean, why would you? Why do we have the this this visa program where we're actually seeking out, we're recruiting people from these countries because apparently these are called diversity, diversity visas. I was going to say, That's and the, and yeah. why are we? What's first of all, this country is in, amazingly diverse. We don't have to go hunting around in Yemen to diversify the U.S. So bottom line is he's perfectly okay to do that. That's not Islamophobic saying you don't want certain people from certain countries coming here. It's not bigotry either. No. He likes to drop all the, the key words in this interview. It's bigotry. Like Roseanne. But it's also present on the left. I think you say you see some of the same stereotypes. Oh, wait a minute. I, I want to take the same he, left. I think you say you see Roseanne, but it's it's more brazen on because because he he lumps Trump in with Roseanne Barr. the right with politicians like Trump and with personalities like Roseanne. <laughs> wow, that's well awesome. Yeah, well but it's also present on the left. I think you say you see some of the same stereotypes. You see some of the some, the same simplistic sort of assessments coming from really popular, celebrated figures on the left. Uh, Bill Maher comes to mind uh, on his television show. He's engaged in spewing the same sort of. That's because Bill Maher isn't a pussy. Right. That's why, dude. And, and, and Bill Maher's not a pansy. And yeah, is Bill Maher sometimes offensive? Yeah. But he's my kind of offensive because he doesn't cower to the language police or anybody else. Sometimes people like me or, or, or people like Phil, the way we believe, is skewered by Bill Maher. Trump is too. I get it. But I love the way sometimes Maher will be an equal opportunity derisively so uh, of, of pretty much everybody. And I'm, gl- I'm glad about that, but this guy apparently considers that to be Islamophobic when yep. Bill Maher decides he's going to point out. I'm sure Bill Maher really cares, yeah. too. You know, harmful, vile um, illustrations of Islam and Muslims as being this, you know, monolithic, uh, you know, demonist sort of element. Um, so I think what's happening on the right is in some respects emboldening uh, the rise and emergence of Islamophobia on the left. The cor- so did you he see what he just did there? And there ought to be some kind of Olympic category for the way in which he twisted himself there by essentially blaming whatever is there on the left when it comes to Islamophobia on the right, which, well done, buddy. I mean, I was, I've, I've mm-hmm. never seen anything like it. So I should get to this commencement address because Paul Kurtman's coming in. So when I come back, what we'll do is we're going to take a break here. We come back. Since it's commencement season, you have to hear, in my opinion, what is the all-time greatest commencement speech ever. And it happened in 2014. It was a Navy admiral, actually a Navy SEAL, who addressed the University of Texas, Austin. But you need to hear this if you haven't already. Some of you might have already had because it's kind of makes it's making the rounds on Facebook and that kind of thing. But you got to hear this to believe it. It's just a beautiful commencement address. So if I were you, I would listen to this. I'll put a link to it in the comments section of the Facebook page, and then you can share it. And so anytime you have to put up with a Nancy Pelosi commencement address or a Jimmy Fallon commencement address or whatever it happens to be where we kind of keep hearing from these people. Is Joy Behar doing a commencement address? I don't know. But this is your commencement address shield, so to speak. This is your, you just wear a holster, put this commencement address in there, and anytime you see a commencement address that you don't like, you take it out and go, poof, that's it, right? Okay, we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. Radio Free Almond, everybody. 
Don't you understand? 
a clear day I can see See for a long way On a clear day Colin Hay. Wow. And a lot of you are going, who was that guy? It's one of my absolute favorite songs, but you know who he is. It's one of my you absolute favorite songs right here. Right on. But that, what you just heard is uh, pretty amazing stuff right there. I can get you sleep. I think about the implications. But no, his voice is as crystalline as it was in this era. That's a great song. It's it's so beautiful. And he hits that one note there in the middle of that, for the three quarters of the way through that song. It's like, dang, dude. Love it. He's got a great vibrato, very unique vibrato that I rarely have ever heard. um, Maybe... It is unique, actually. He, he's got a vibrato. I think that I've never heard a, a male voice do what his, his does. It's yeah. really interesting. But, yeah, Waiting for My Real Life to Begin is like one of my yeah. absolute favorites. When I first heard that, I was like, what? I think I saw him do that on a TV show somewhere. And uh, he, he's come to St. Louis before. And off the air, you and I were talking. He plays some of the smaller venues, but... Uh, if you are able to check him out, man, but that's a great song. I love it. It's pretty good, too. It's just for, it's for driving around right here. Killer song, man. It's one of the good best. Good morning, this morning, everybody. Radio Free Almond. All right, you want to hear something else that you're going to love? I'm going I'm to escort uh, Colin out of the studio. Man. Listen, buddy, thank you very much. Appreciate your service and love you like crazy. Colin Hay. All right, so this commencement address. Now, you guys are going to be treated to all kinds of crazy ones, and, and Hillary will probably pop up somewhere, and who knows. But you don't need to hear any other commencement addresses until you hear this one. It is delivered by Admiral William McRaven. This is at the University of Texas at Austin. All right? This is not even... This is not even just a, a – this isn't a military school, okay? This is a admiral, Navy SEAL, invited to give the commencement address at the University of Texas at Austin, which, of course, is why Texas is so awesome and why Austin is even better. And you know what? Interestingly enough, Austin isn't necessarily a conservative town by any stretch. No. In fact, it's one of the best musical towns Austin you're going to find anywhere. Limits, yeah. yeah, man. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's a great – City in a great state, and the University of Texas at Austin uh, invited Admiral William McRaven, who graduated there uh, from there in 1977, and he is the only the ninth commander of the U.S. Special Operations Command, and he is uh, just an amazing guy. You don't have to hear any other commencement address at all. In fact, I wish they would just simply 
somehow figure out a way to hologram this guy up onto any stage at any school around. But this is his – it's about – uh, it's about 15 minutes, which is okay. Paul Kirkman's going to be in here in just a little bit, and then Gia Valenti's coming in. You'll, you'll, you'll want to hear what Gia Valenti has to say about your kids and addiction to tech, all that kind of stuff, but we'll talk more about that. But this is uh, Admiral William H. McRaven, 2014. Check it out. Every morning in SEAL training, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks room, and the first thing they'd do was inspect my bed. If you did it right, the corners would be square, the covers would be pulled tight, the pillow centered just under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. It was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning we were required to make our bed to perfection. It seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were aspiring to be real warriors, tough, battle-hardened SEALs. But the wisdom of this simple act has been proven to me many times over. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made, (laughs) that you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. During SEAL training, the students during training the students are all broken down into boat crews. Each crew is seven students, three on each side of a small rubber boat, and one coxswain to help guide the dinghy. Every day, your boat crew forms up on the beach and is instructed to get through the surf zone and paddle several miles down the coast. In the winter, the surf off San Diego can get to be eight to ten feet high, and it is exceedingly difficult to paddle through the plunging surf unless everyone digs in. Every paddle must be synchronized to the stroke count of the coxswain. Everyone must exert equal effort, or the boat will turn against the wave and be unceremoniously dumped back on the beach. For the boat to make it to its destination, everyone must paddle. You can't change the world alone. You will need some help. And to truly get from your starting point to your destination takes friends, colleagues, the goodwill of strangers, and a strong coxswain to guide you. If you want to change the world, find someone to help you paddle. Over a few weeks of difficult training, my SEAL class, which started with 150 men, was down to just 42. There were now six boat crews of seven men each. I was in the boat with the tall guys, but the best boat crew we had was made up of the little guys, the munchkin crew, we called them. No one was over five foot five. The munchkin boat crew had one American Indian, one African American, one Polish American, one Greek American, one Italian American, and two tough kids from the Midwest. They out paddled, outran, and outswam all the other boat crews. The big men in the other boat crews would always make good natured fun of the tiny little flippers the Munchkins put on their tiny little feet prior to every swim. But somehow these little guys, 
from every corner of the nation and the world always had the last laugh, swimming faster than everyone and reaching the shore long before the rest of us. SEAL training was a great equalizer. Nothing mattered but your will to succeed, not your color, not your ethnic background, not your education, not your social status. If you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart, not by the size of their flippers. Several times a week, the instructors would line up the class and do a uniform inspection. It was exceptionally thorough. Your hat had to be perfectly starched, your uniform immaculately pressed, your belt buckle shiny and void of any smudges. But it seemed that no matter how much effort you put into starching your hat or pressing your uniform or polishing your belt buckle, it just wasn't good enough. The instructors would find something wrong. For failing uniform inspection, the student had to run, fully clothed, into the surf zone, then wet from head to toe, roll around on the beach until every part of your body was covered with sand. The effect was known as a sugar cookie. You stayed in the uniform the rest of the day, cold, wet, and sandy. There were many a student who just couldn't accept the fact that all their efforts were in vain, that no matter how hard they tried to get the uniform right, it went unappreciated. Those students didn't make it through training. Those students didn't understand the purpose of the drill. You were never going to succeed. You were never going to have a perfect uniform. The instructors weren't going to allow it. Sometimes, no matter how well you prepare, or how well you perform, you still end up as a sugar cookie. It's just the way life is sometimes. If you want to change the world, get over being a sugar cookie and keep moving forward. Every day during training, you were challenged with multiple physical events, long runs, long swims, obstacle courses, hours of calisthenics, something designed to test your mettle. Every event had standards, times you had to meet. If you failed to meet those times, those standards, your name was posted on a list, and at the end of the day, those on the list were invited to a circus. A circus was two hours of additional calisthenics designed to wear you down, to break your spirit, to force you to quit. No one wanted a circus. A circus meant that for that day, you didn't measure up. A circus meant more fatigue, and more fatigue meant that the following day would be more difficult and more circuses were likely. But at some time during SEAL training, Everyone, everyone made the circus list. But an interesting, an interesting thing happened to those who were constantly on the list. Over time, those students who did two hours of extra calisthenics got stronger and stronger. The pain of the circuses built inner strength and physical resiliency. Life is filled with circuses. You will fail. You will likely fail often. It will be painful. It will be discouraging. At times, it will test you to your very core. But if you, don't, if you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circuses. At least twice a week, the trainees were required to run the obstacle course. The obstacle course contained 25 obstacles, including a 10-foot wall, a 30-foot cargo net, a barbed wire crawl, to name a few. But the most challenging obstacle was the slide for life. It had a three-level, 30-foot tower at one end, and a one-level tower at the other. In between was a 200-foot-long rope. You had to climb the three-tiered tower, and once at the top, you grabbed the rope, swung underneath the rope, and pulled yourself hand over hand until you got to the other end. The record for the obstacle course had stood for years when my class began in 1977. The record seemed unbeatable. 
until one day a student decided to go down the slide for life head first. Instead of swinging his body underneath the rope and inching his way down, he bravely mounted the top of the rope and thrust himself forward. It was a dangerous move, seemingly foolish and fraught with risk. Failure could mean injury and being dropped from the course. Without hesitation, the student slid down the rope perilously fast. Instead of several minutes, it only took him half that time. And by the end of the course, he had broken the record. If you want to change the world, sometimes you have to slide down the obstacles head first. During the land warfare phase of training, the students are flown out to San Clemente Island, which lies off the coast of San Diego. The waters off San Clemente are a breeding ground for the great white sharks. To pass SEAL training, there are a series of long swims that must be completed. One is the night swim. Before the swim, the instructors joyfully brief the students on all the species of sharks that inhabit the waters off San Clemente. They assure you, however, that no student has ever been eaten by a shark, at least not that they can remember. But you are also taught that if a shark begins to circle your position, stand your ground. Do not swim away. Do not act afraid. And if the shark, hungry for a midnight snack, darts towards you, then summons up all your strength and punch him in the snout, and he will turn and swim away. There are a lot of sharks in the world. If you hope to complete the swim, you will have to deal with them. So if you want to change the world, don't back down from the sharks. As Navy SEALs, one of our jobs is to conduct underwater attacks against enemy shipping. We practice this technique ex extensively during training. The ship attack mission is where a pair of SEAL divers is dropped off outside an enemy harbor and then swims well over two miles underwater, using nothing but a depth gauge and a compass to get to the target. During the entire swim, even well below the surface, there is some light that comes through. It is comforting to know that there is open water above you. But as you approach the ship, which is tied to a pier, the light begins to fade. The steel structure of the ship blocks the moonlight. It blocks the surrounding street lamps. It blocks all ambient light. To be successful in your mission, you have to swim under the ship and find the keel, the center line, and the deepest part of the ship. This is your objective. But the keel is also the darkest part of the ship, where you cannot see your hand in front of your face, where the noise from the ship's machinery is deafening, and where it gets to be easily disoriented, and you can fail. Every SEAL knows that under the keel, at that darkest moment of the mission, is a time when you need to be calm, when you must be calm, when you must be composed, when all your tactical skills, your physical power, and your inner strength must be brought to bear. If you want to change the world, you must be your very best in the darkest moments. The ninth week of training is referred to as Hell Week. It is six days of no sleep, constant physical and mental harassment, and one special day at the Mud Flats. The Mud Flats are an area between San Diego and Tijuana where the run water runs off and creates the Tijuana Sloughs, a swampy patch of terrain where the mud will engulf you. It is on Wednesday of Hell Week that you paddle down to the Mud Flats and spend the next 15 hours trying to survive this freezing cold, the howling wind, and the incessant pressure to quit from the instructors. 
As the sun began to set that Wednesday evening, my training class, having committed some egregious infraction of the rules, was ordered into the mud. The mud consumed each man till there was nothing visible but our heads. The instructors told us we could leave the mud if only five men would quit. Only five men, just five men, and we could get out of the oppressive cold. Looking around the mud flat, it was apparent that some students were about to give up. It was still over eight hours till the sun came up. Eight more hours of bone-chilling cold. The chattering teeth and the shivering moans of the trainees were so loud, it was hard to hear anything. And then one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song. The song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. One voice became two, and two became three, and before long, everyone in the class was singing. The instructors threatened us with more time in the mud if we kept up the singing, but the singing persisted, and somehow the mud seemed a little warmer, and the wind a little tamer, and the dawn not so far away. If I have learned anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope, the power of one person, a Washington, a Lincoln, King, Mandela, and even a young girl from Pakistan, Malala. One person can change the world by giving people hope. So if you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. Finally, in SEAL training, there's a bell, a brass bell that hangs in the center of the compound for all the students to see. All you have to do to quit, all you have to do to quit is ring the bell. Ring the bell, and you no longer have to wake up at 5 o'clock. Ring the bell, and you no longer have to be in the freezing cold swims. Ring the bell, and you no longer have to do the runs, the obstacle course, the PT, and you no longer have to endure the hardships of training. All you have to do is ring the bell to get out. If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. To the class of 2014, you are moments away from graduating, moments away from beginning your journey through life, moments away from starting to change the world for the better. It will not be easy, but you are the class of 2014, the class that can affect the lives of 800 million people in the next century. Start each day with a task completed. Find someone to help you through life. Respect everyone. Know that life is not fair and that you will fail often. But if you take some risks, step up when the times are the toughest, face down the bullies, lift up the downtrodden, and never, ever give up. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what started here will indeed have changed the world for the better. Thank you very much. Hook em horns. Admiral William McRaven, don't ever ring the bell, people. What a great commencement address. Put that in your pipe and smoke it and play it for the kids. Something. We'll be back. Paul Kirkman, straight ahead. If you got your place to go when you If you're all
right, folks? Yeah. So Paul Kurtman's in the green room there and listening to the speech. But if you know Paul Kurtman, it should not surprise you one little bit that he's watched the speech a million times. Buddy, how you doing? I'm doing great. Can you settle something for me real quickly? It's once a Marine, always a Marine, right, correct? Right. So there's no such thing. Is there any such thing as. Because uh, I'm always like weirded out, like saying former Marine, because if you're once a Marine, always a Marine, then you can never be a former Marine. Is that correct? Right. We, so usually if someone refers to us as an ex Marine, we'll, we'll say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Once Marine, always Marine. But if somebody says former Marine, sometimes we'll give them a little leeway because we're not on. <laughs> we might not be on active duty anymore. Right on. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your service to this country, buddy. And My pleasure. I, I remember meeting you, uh, boy, how many years ago was this, the first time you ran for office? Well, I ran in 2009. I think we might have met for the first time in 2009. Okay, all right, because you, when you were running, and you, don't, you haven't aged a bit, dude, even though you're in <laughs> Jefferson City, even though you're yeah. down there in the Jefferson yeah. City swamp. I would card you. I sure, <laughs> feel, I sure yeah. feel a lot older I, after sure, all this. Right, exactly. But you know what? Your experience has been great. And, you know, in talking to Nick Schroer earlier, uh, and, and he's one of those guys, kind of, we have, we have our own Freedom Caucus, per se, here in the state of Missouri. Thank right. the Lord we do. And uh, one of those, during his tenure uh, uh, serving as a state rep and beyond, was, Paul was really kind of one of those guys. He, he was the Freedom Caucus guy. He came out through the uh, Tea Party and was very active in the Tea Party, but also just very active as a constitutionalist and a guy who stood up for the Constitution and liberty was the big thing. And it was uh, it was a message kind of even before it was cool, really. Uh, and, and now, thankfully, we've had people like you serving uh, in that capacity in Jefferson City. And now you want to go on to bigger and better things, perhaps, as state auditor. Well, what I would like to do is I would like to complete the work that I've been doing as a state representative. For the, so for the last eight years, I've got to chair committees like downsizing state government, government efficiency. It's given me the opportunity to call bureaucrats into committee meetings, go through years worth of audits question basically interrogate them i would really like to continue that work only now with the actual authority of the auditor's office because when you're state representative and you're term limited out the bureaucrats know that they just got to wait you out so they will stonewall us at every chance they get but it's a it's a different matter altogether when they have to be responsive to the state auditor right you've had to be tough i mean it's not an easy there are some people down there who were kind of, you know, you, you don't have to take them seriously. But it, it's been – that environment down there is pretty tough. You have a lot of ways for people to wiggle out of things, play the shell games, do all kinds of things. And it's really vitally important that you have been through that territory before because you've managed budgets right. before. You know where people try to hide things and do stuff like that. So that would help you as a state auditor. It, it would, and the political climate that we've been in for the last eight years. So, for example, in 2014, um, the legislature passed a measure to put a new sales tax on the ballot to in, for uh, transportation infrastructure. It was not probably the popular thing to do at the time, but I voted on that bill, and I got permission from the Speaker of the House to call in the department uh, director of the Department of Transportation. We went through 10 years' worth of audits to discover, do you guys actually need more money or do you not? And from going through 10 years' worth of audits – I felt even more confident that the no vote on that new tax increase was the right vote. And so uh, to be able to not just stand up against the political climate, but also to just 
take the initiative to pull in these bureaucrats, even the department heads, and just start grilling them. I mean, this stuff does not happen enough. Yeah, every time you turn around, too, you, you like, well, Phil, you know this. Like, for instance, we, we see the Department of Transportation, which I, I, I kind of, people accuse me of having some kind of, like, evil Jones about the Department of Transportation. But every time you turn around, they're turning around asking for more money or asking for a new tax or whatever, and I always point out, well, have you? Have we looked back? And, and that's another example. You go to the Department of Transportation, you see audit after audit. It's like, okay, why'd you spend money on this ramp just because the one lawmaker wanted you to build that ramp in his town, whatever? And and it's it, they don't. The way you and I live is, if we are short on money or we don't have enough money, we have to go back and either make more ourselves, or we have to go back and figure out ways where we're misspending it. Or maybe we have to cut back, or maybe this or that. Because believe me, I go over to my neighbor's house and say, hey, can I borrow $10,000? They'll say, have you gone back and figured out whether or not you still really need that $64 a whiskey, bottle of whiskey? Or have you done this, or have you done that? And that's what the auditor does. Because you're p- protecting taxpayers not only from wasteful spending, but from people who constantly, not people, but agencies, they constantly have their hands out for more money. That's right. I, I like to use this as an example. When you sit in front of an appropriations committee or the budget committee and you got all these bureaucrats coming in asking for more money, uh, it's kind of a joke, but it's, it's so true. It's like an episode of Shark Tank. <laughs> they come in and they constantly tell you why they need more money. And usually the reason, the number one reason why they need more money, usually, is just because they spent all the money we sent them last year. Right. That's not good enough. Our budget has grown from $24 billion to $28 billion. There's a lot of reasons for that, but now it's more important than ever to make sure that we have a state auditor who knows how to go in, we do these bureaucracies, do the audits, and then also start applying solutions to work with lawmakers so we can actually get out ahead of the problems that we're discovering in the audits. We have an auditor right now who does not work with the legislature. We're not having solutions brought to the legislature to help us get out ahead of these problems, and that has got to start happening. Well, and we're also then looking at a situation where I have to tell you, when it, when it came time for Governor Greitens, when he was leaving, he signed the, the corporate tax cut. And, and we all know, and, and Kansas is a perfect example of that, that tax cuts do not work if they're not in association with spending cuts. Tax cuts also don't work if not only if they're not in association with spending cuts, but if agencies and others keep mm-hmm. spending and spending and spending. And so uh, this is also the auditor's office also has a role in keeping the the diet plans in place for these agencies that also then don't create havoc because we want the tax cuts and and we have to have spending alongside of it. We also have to have a certain level of uh, of, of monitoring what you're spending. Otherwise, it's never going to work. That's right. And I think that solutions to help us get there. So I introduced a bill just this last year. This is something that the private sector does. And I think the state can learn a lot from the private sector. The private sector has a lot of incentives to be efficient. So I introduced a bill that said, uh, let's let state employees, who are some of the lowest paid employees in all of America, let's let our state employees look for ways that they can be more efficient, save money, the money that they saved, put that in a special fund, let the employees keep a percentage of that for, for their own income for their paychecks, then we can send the rest of the money back to the taxpayers through the Hancock Amendment. That has not been happening in a long time, and that needs to start happening again also. Yeah, whatever happened to that Hancock Amendment? It just kind of, kind of sometimes it just kind of gets fallen to the wayside yeah. or, or pulled out when it's convenient to a debate. Right. But, I mean, we can, we can send money back to the taxpayers if the state doesn't need to spend it. And I would argue there's a lot of money that the state's spending that we should send back to the taxpayers to let our people spend. Right. 
What did you think of all what happened with Governor Greitens, that whole thing? Yeah, I uh, so I was one of a few legislators that didn't actually sign the petition to call us back into special session. Um, my position on this whole thing, and I told this to the governor, my position was uh, I, want, I want the truth. But there were so many people that became part of the story who should not have been part of the story. When you got people that are giving $120,000 in cash to attorneys to pursue the governor, those people should not be part of the story, and they really clouded up the truth for those of us that were really seeking the truth. Um, I don't know how far the committee is going to go right now. I do know this. We did get a commitment. The Speaker of the House and uh, the General Assembly is is rather committed to finding out where that $120,000 came from. I think we need to figure that out. I think that will make this whole picture suddenly come into focus for all the people that still have a lot of questions that need to be answered. I am so glad you said that about the $120,000 because that's the thing as we look at this story, and there are certain people who are just trying to wrap things up and say, okay, well, on to bigger and better things. The state of Missouri must continue, blah, blah, blah. And then no one, even some media outlets, are paying attention to that $120,000. So I'm glad you are, and you are you're, so you're convinced they're still going to dig into this thing. I, I'm convinced. The Speaker of the House told me the last week of session, told me and a few other people's that, people that he was committed to doing that. Uh, the day after the governor announced his resignation, um, uh, the Speaker of the House had recommitted uh, to doing that. And I think that the members of the General Assembly, I don't think the members of the General Assembly, in spite of where they stood on this issue, I think people are constitutionally offended when you have people that come in and under oath lie to the representatives of the people. And we think that that has happened in committee and we want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, lie or just be evasive. I mean, these are the same people who have complained about the so-called dark money. And there's nothing darker than when you're asked about certain monies saying – you're not going to tell anybody where it came from. That's pretty dark. That's dark. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty dark. It's deceitful, and it's just outright wicked. I mean, the, the stakes are so high. America, our, our institutions, our government, the people that ha- should have every right to have confidence in our government, all that is beginning to waver when we go through something like this. And we got to make sure that we get back on track, bring back as much confidence we, as we can uh, in our government. One of the ways to do that, and this is one of the reasons why I'm running for a state auditor. This is the office of honesty. People ought to have every. Uh, reassurance that if they can't get the honest truth out of their politicians or the bureaucrats, they ought to at least be able to get it out of the auditor. Is are you a lawyer by trade? Then no. Okay. Well, because I, I, I don't, and this might not even be an attorney question, but how much how much can you get in terms of answers about this money? Like, what if somebody just says, mm-hmm. "I'm not going to answer the questions"? What's the recourse? Like, if Scott Fawn does, it, will insist That's on it. saying, "I'm not telling you where I got the money." What is there any teeth anywhere that could force the answer? Yeah, I I think that there is. Um, So, for example, I know that there are laws on the books that say when money is transferred like this, there has to be reporting procedures in place. And Al Watkins, who got the money, said that he took a picture of it and alerted the FBI. So I would imagine, and I'm not, I haven't had any conversations with the FBI or any law enforcement, but I would imagine to some degree there's somebody in law enforcement that's also investigating this. Right. Well, see, I thought it was cool to say you've had conversations with the FBI because everybody else was down there. (laughs) I've had conversations with the FBI, you know. (laughs) That's like all that garbage. I will tell you that I do wish Governor Parson all the luck uh, in the world. Absolutely. I, I, I know he's a good guy. I, I love the fact that he stood up for law enforcement. He's a former law enforcement person himself, former sheriff, everything else. But I am a little concerned, especially when it comes to some of the support of the tax credits. And I think there's if, – if, if Governor Parson isn't swampy, he's surrounded by a lot of people who kind of are. And, and so my opinion is that 
that means that an office like the state auditor is all the more important when you have this kind of stuff. Because these tax credit guys got away their their tax credit that that whole system is right. remains in place. That kind of stuff needs to be monitored. And if, if it's not going to be gotten rid of the way the governor wanted to be get, getting rid of it, then it needs to be certainly monitored. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've had an opportunity to serve with Governor Parson when he was a state senator. And uh, over the last six or seven months, just from campaigning, I've gotten an opportunity to know him a little bit better kind of outside the building. Um, I think I think you're right. He is our governor and uh, we are Republicans and, and conservatives and we want to have a successful we want to have. Uh, a good governor. And so I'm certainly going to do everything that I can in my power uh, to help him be the best governor he can be. And I have a lot of confidence that he'll be able to do that. But on the tax credit side, I'm one of maybe two state representatives. I have all the tax credits on about four or five different sheets of paper tacked to my wall. And when these people have come into my office before, and if I said, we want to extend this, we want more of this, I always point to it. This year, I think we're going to eclipse $600 million in uh, t- redeemable tax credits. And the really bad ones are the ones that are transferable. Yeah. Because the ones that are transferable allow people to actually profit. We create a commodity off of this program so people can literally profit, make millions of dollars off of these. That, that doesn't stay in the business, doesn't go back to the government. It's literally theirs. They're selling them. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah exact, that's exactly right. They sell them. They make money off of them. And then what they do with that money, they usually write campaign checks They'll hire more lobbyists to send back to Jefferson City to have more tax credits written for them. That is crazy. Well, are you going to be around this weekend? Because there's a there's a thing happening that Phil mentioned mm-hmm. uh, in St. Peter's or in St. Charles, yep. right? With with the governor is going to be in town mm-hmm. uh, and and some state some reps, reps and that kind of thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so if you're in town, because uh, I know you're having to travel the state with all your stuff, and and it's fair time too, so you got to be on all mm-hmm. the yeah. the mm-hmm. county fairs and everything else. Uh, but we're going to be over at Discovery Design, where where, you, where Nick is as a, as a general counsel over there, and we're going to have the Warrior and the Wild Man Radio Free Almond Throwdown Palooza right there on the lot, right off of the service road there. And it's going to be a big deal, and you're welcome to stop by. We got a lot a lot of other people coming by, and I'm going to see if we can squeeze that into. I'll the give county. you yeah. the, I'll give you the information. I have a question. If yeah, I can twelve ask to him. six too. Um, so I, and 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 we've got an open mic and everything else. So okay. open mic, even if you want to read poetry Karaoke. or sing, right? Whatever you want to do. I might abstain from poetry, <laughs> and you and you want me to abstain from singing. Okay, <laughs> okay. Take it away, buddy. Um, one of the issues that's coming up with this auditor, I, I'm not. My civics is a little off, but I, as I understand it, the auditor is the fourth highest position in the government. Is that correct? Just below, um, just below the speaker. I thought, Possibly, I'm I not exactly it, sure where, said that, where the auditor sure. falls in the line of ascension. It's a very powerful position, mm-hmm. and we need to understand that as Missourians here, and there's an issue coming up about redistricting. Oh, yes. And, and I, need to, I need to ask you about that because okay. that's, gonna, that's something that I oh, wait, know. Wait, but that's clean Missouri, Phil. I mean, how can you argue that's with clean? Clip, clipboard guys outside the polling <laughs> stations, right. I, um, we all got entangled in that. Jamie called our attention to it, and then another candidate for this position also mm-hmm. call our attention to it. So I actually posted on this on my Facebook page mm-hmm. yesterday and a couple times before that also. So here's here's the danger. In clean Missouri, in this ballot initiative, there's things in there that are really attractive, contribution limits, things like that that would make people just want to immediately vote yes. Okay. But what it says about the state auditor, so right now when we redistrict, the redistricting is done by a bipartisan commission. So there are checks and balances. They fight it out. As, we, it out. as we make mm-hmm. our way to redistricting, mm-hmm. okay? Um. What Clean Missouri says is the state auditor gets to basically write down a list of requirements for a new position called state demographer. And the state demographer is the one that's in charge of redistricting. So there's not really any checks and balances because 
the state auditor then gets to put all the names on the list of everybody who qualifies to be the demographer, and then the leadership of the House and Senate, they will have some veto power, but even if they can't come to any consensus, the state auditor still gets to pick the person. So even if, even if the leadership of the House and Senate picks somebody from the list, you're still letting the state auditor pick the list. So now, instead of somebody coming in and campaigning all across the state in all these different districts, it would be much more efficient to throw millions of dollars into electing the state auditor that you want to draw the districts that you want That's to it. make your elections far more Game easier. over. And right. this is, it is a pure scam. Gerrymandering is dangerous and scary to people like me who think that is the game. That's the mm-hmm. whole game. Well, they're it's trying to do what they did in, in Cook County, Illinois. Oh, and all God. you have to do is, is mm-hmm. take your hand, hold your hand uh, this way, and you'll see what the, how they sealed the deal on Democrat power in Cook County, Illinois, by doing exactly what I believe some of these people are up to, which is to kind of start to spider in certain uh, Democratic uh, districts into predominantly Republican ones. And if they don't take over... They at least create a contest where the Republican has to spend a lot of money and is not a guaranteed win, and so that's how they do it. And you just put your it's it's a it's a, it's a hand or a spider web or whatever you want to do it, but it's all trickles down. And Cook County is a perfect map of that. What is a demographer, by the way? Do they is there is there someone like could, is I've never even seen like a like I've never even known what a professional demographer is. I didn't even know there was professional. De- I mean, this this will tell you how little I knew about demographers in general. I actually had to go look it up. And so, a demographer, from what I read online, the definition it's somebody that studies. They're basically a scientist in the study of uh, uh, people's uh, the. Demogra- genders, yeah. age, so, all the demographics that might go into play mm-hmm. in a particular geographical region. Right. So much. that's a pretty uh, mm. seems like a pretty cushy. I mean, I would think like a demographer generally would be someone who might be employed at a university and teaching right. dem- demographics, but. I right. can't imagine yeah, one yeah, just yeah. having an office in the state auditor's office. Meets a cartographer. <laughs> right. This right. Clean Missouri centralizes mm-hmm. power and takes it further away from the people. That's what people need to understand. It takes it and takes the power further away. They're from hiding people. what they're doing behind. Let's save the planet and be all green and be. Uh, they're yeah. trying in it's in, a, in contribution limits, which we already have now because people just voted for it. So now mm-hmm. they're going to go back in and adjust it by another hundred dollars to make mm-hmm. people think that there's this new oh, push gosh. for this. So mm-hmm. it the, the main goal here is to centralize power and uh keep a democrat in that office and not the people wow well we we know what's up over there well paul kurtman what's your website again paulkurtman.com oh that's easy paulkurtman.com no it's http colon Colon backslash backslash backslash. forward slash i'm sorry i got it wrong yeah yeah anyway there goes your demography job dude i'm sorry hey Great to see you, buddy. Thanks, James. And thanks again for your service, My and uh, we appreciate you as always. Your service not only in our beautiful military, but also to the great state of Missouri, paulkurtman.com, people.
everybody Gia Valenti you're trying to walk me through your website here you oh no teach you take off, take off the Whoops. ing hang on sorry all J still wants to play with us all J it's time to go away buddy we love you but you're gonna have to just simply take take a little break here from everything hi Gia Valenti hi Jamie Allman why am I having a problem with this here because you're typing out? in the wrong name oh <laughs> <laughs> learn oh learn okay that's just what learn with there you go. with yeah, there it is. Learn with Moxie. Listen to all Jay still sneaking in there. He's 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 uh there it is right there. I wanted to get the website up because go. I am so impressed with what Gia Valenti is doing. First of all, let me walk you back here because last night oh, I'll walk you even further back. I know a woman named Suzanne Vanker, and I've known her for a long time. And Suzanne is an excellent author. She is a, well, she is a person who stands up for what is right as it relates to culture and family. She would not be described as Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, nothing. But when it comes to common sense, you got it from uh, Suzanne Vinker. So I've known her for a while, and she has her official site, SuzanneVinker.com. And I'll just, um, I'll just read off a couple of, uh, of, of titles of some of her latest writings, like Be Smart and Put Marriage Ahead of Career, uh, What Patriarchal Conspiracy, so she's calling BS on the whole patriarchal conspiracy deal, uh, chivalry is dead because women killed it, and men called they want their balls back. So those are just a couple of examples of what Suzanne Vanker writes about. She's a noted author as well. One of her books, Alpha Female's Guide to Men and Marriage, How Love Works, is a great book for all of you. And at some point, Suzanne Vanker is kind of the female version of Doug Giles, if you want to kind of get another kind of point of reference. So I've known Suzanne for a long time, and so G and I have been trying to get to get together for a, a while too, because you had come up, you had this just this this big gigantic thing come your way in terms of this uh, new frontier in your life, and and you're a mom, and you are a 25 year veteran of the Muni as a dancer. 
and you and a performer, and you've been all around the country, and you noticed something about your kids and technology, and then suddenly you were off to the races. I'm going to get to that in a second. Anyway, to know Gia Valenti is to know like this. You know, you're you're kind of a powerhouse. You're are you Italian? You think? Uh huh. <laughs> so so and, and and I first met Gia through a friend, and it was at a military memorial foundation golf. Uh, fundraiser, whatever, and you were just off at you were at some wedding or something or some. I think it was at a baby shower. Baby shower mm-hmm. with your mom, uh, and you ought to meet her mom because. Hi, mom. Hey. Hi, mom. <laughs> Heard a lot about you. Also met you before. Yes, indeed. So anyway, when when Gia and I met, and she told me about this idea, the the learn with Moxie idea that she has, and about breaking kids of this technology addiction and this destructive focus on Snapchat and all this kind of stuff. The minute we got, while we were talking, suddenly I said, oh, I gotta, I gotta introduce Gia to Suzanne Banker because these two, they'll, this will be great. Because not only is Suzanne a seasoned veteran in common sense and writing and getting the message out there, uh, but she also would be a great uh, partner for Gia in terms of Gia trying to get her message out and even uh, beginning to write a book and all this kind of stuff. So I said, you know, this would be great. And then I didn't even think of this. I thought, well, both of them could equally, uh, could certainly have a show on Radio Free Almond, which would be great because we would talk about cultural issues and I'd love them on the show on a regular basis, which they will be. Uh, and and then, then last night we get together. It's 6.30. Suddenly it's 10.30. <laughs> It's four hours, and 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 most of the time, uh, well, not most of the time, but some of the time, I'm sitting there watching Gia and Suzanne talk. I'm thinking, I would listen to this all day long. And you know what? Someday maybe you will listen to that. Maybe not all day long, but as a portion of Radio Free Almond. So that's the backstory on it. You two basically hit it off as I knew you would. And so look for Suzanne Baker and Gia Valenti to be together in some capacity down the line, because... I think it'd be a great show. What did we say the show would be called, maybe? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> we'll, we'll come Cultural, up common culture. Yeah, yeah something, something like that. So seasons. anyway, tell me, though, because you all will find this fascinating. If you have kids, and, and I do, I have a 13-year-old, for instance, and my daughters, 10 and 8, are not yet there. Uh, but But my son and these guys are all in this Snapchat world and... G was telling me that you noticed that even some people, it's it's not only addiction, but in order to stay relevant in Snapchat, you have to keep it alive and all this kind of stuff. So tell me what caused you to say, you know what, I'm coming up with a plan. I want to share the plan in schools. I want to make a difference. So it started, and I was consulting in corporate America, and uh, CEOs and execs were looking for assistance in better client engagement, better sales presentations, just general email structure was terrible, and I was out there, you know, doing the work and helping people, but it's not that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I immediately went, okay, like anything, early intervention is key, so we're going to have to do something with our kids if we want them to grow up to be good communicators and uh, good writers and effective in the business world, we got to do something sooner. But I also know that kids don't want to be lectured. I also know 
they don't need another boring public speaking 101 class. Or just taking their phone away. Right. Whatever. Right. So I thought, why don't we create some fun, and I use the word curriculum loosely because it just sounds rigorous for both the institution and the student. Yes. So I will refer to it more as a series of exercises and games and activities. And so I thought, let's put something together for these kids that they can be working on these skills and not even realize that they're working on them. And that's how Learn With Moxie was born. Learnwithmoxie.com. And right now, you're trying to get it into uh, the schools. Correct. And you've had some success. Aren't you talking with Lindbergh? Or... Talking with Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and again, these are not uh, – these are just ways to, to break kids of this idea that the only way to communicate is through some device. I mean, there, there are times when kids are all together, uh, five kids together, and every single one of them is on their phone while they're in the same room. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You know, this is here to stay. None of this is yeah. going away. Yeah. I get that. And I'm not against technology. I always tell people, disclaimer, 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 I am not opposed to technology. I'm not a tech hater. I mean, look at us right now. Yes. And the feed and even my program is delivered digitally to the institution. But I think there's a better way. I think there's another way that we can we can do better for our kids. And if this isn't going to go away and this is going to be their main source of communication and entertainment and they're going to leave school at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and they're going to go home and be on devices all night, then at some point we're going to have to give the verbal competence some attention. And the only way I see that happening is incorporated into the classroom. And this is – it's more than just simply, oh, kids are getting fat because they're on their phone not doing it. They're not playing outside. It's actually translating to a true dumbing down of communication Absolutely. ability because you showed me a – what was it? Some response to a, to an, an employer ad they put out. They oh. were looking for like a web designer <laughs> or something. You remember what a that – graphic designer. Graphic designer. And and people in the in, in this guy's response, it, it, first of all, there wasn't even a, there was it was misspelled. There first of all, misspellings everywhere. There was no <laughs> punctuation. Then when the employer called this person out on, uh, hey, you're you're you don't even have complete sentences and your spelling is incorrect. Then the person got ugly and and vulgar. <laughs> Yeah, I just. I mean, and then even the curse words were spelled wrong. <laughs> well, well played. Yeah, I think right. I think I think he called them a like a douche or something, and it was D O C H E, which is generally not even a word I use, but nonetheless, right. uh, yeah, that's maybe, what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, here's the other thing, and you all, and you parents all know this too. Is by the way, I like the design. Like Moxie almost has a it has a radio free almond thing on it. It's like got a on microphone. The top. Yeah, yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's pretty. It does. It's it does. pretty cool. Mm. Uh, LearnwithMoxie.com. But this is a crazy statistic. I'm surprised it's not higher though. But it, it, and it might be. Thirty six percent of parents say they argue with their child daily about device use. Yeah, and, I bet that number's higher. Every day. Yeah. And how many times have you said, you know, get off your phone or talk to me mm-hmm. or what have you? You know, what's really funny is uh, my, uh, and I love telling the story. My, uh, my daughter was playing uh, a basketball game at one of the Catholic schools this, you know, this past fall. And we were exiting, I'm sorry, we were entering and a father and his son were exiting. And this little boy had a, had a phone in his hand, and, I mean, just sucked in, right? I mean, 
like three years old, not paying any attention, and not his fault. I mean, whatever he was engaged in was clearly captivating, and walked right into me. Mm -hmm. I'm the cutest little guy ever. Walked right into me, and the dad immediately goes, pay attention, look where you're going. And I'm thinking, you're yelling at your kid about something that you gave him so he didn't drive you crazy probably during your kid's game. Right, yep. And now he's getting getting in trouble, and you're lashing out at him yep. for the very thing that you gave him to keep him occupied. And then once he's sucked into it, you're expecting him to self-regulate and detach mm-hmm. from this almighty, powerful device, and you're yelling at him. Yeah. And, I, and it's the same thing with that statistic. You know, parents are arguing with their children. Well, you know, we can eliminate that. We, we the parents, yep. yeah. can actually remove that problem from the equation. Yeah. Well, you know, you, we've seen it, and you and I talked a little bit about this, and you've probably seen it too, Phil, where people, uh, and I get it, that, that family time and, and, and married couple time is at a premium sometimes. You, 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 you look for any way to have it. And sometimes it's not always, you're not always able to get a sitter and just go out. And I get that, okay, mom and dad go out, they have their kids, and they want a little time to talk because the kids are kind of talking to them all the time and interrupting them. So they go ahead and hand them the iPad or prop the phone up on the table so they could watch, you know, cartoons or whatever at the restaurant table while they're talking. Now that's, I, I would imagine that at some point maybe that's something that uh, is okay. Uh, I think every family has their own standards and whatever you want to do. But the, but you have to also know that what you're doing is doing just what you just described, which is you're teaching your children that the only way to kind of sit at a table and either have a conversation or, for that matter, maybe even just keep your mouth shut while your parents talk right. is to – anesthetize them with a device. Yeah. And and that's why you get that kid who's walking around with his device later on because you've taught them that that's the way it's almost like a pacifier. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm here to help the kids, but honestly the adults we're, we're all just as bad. Anywhere you go in the world right, right now, I don't care if you're in a physician waiting room, I don't care if you're in line at the grocery store, I don't care if you're at the bank, I don't care if you're sitting anywhere, everybody is in a device. Mm-hmm. Everybody. And we all, if you really look, and, and once I start telling people about this, they're like, oh my gosh, now that you're, you're in my head, you're in my head. Like I, everywhere I look, yeah. I see this happening. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing to me how zombied and glazed mm-hmm. over the entire world has become. There is no affect Everyone is staring, mm-hmm. and it's it's like zombies. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's like we've all been taken over by something. This, yeah. And I realize I'm an extremist with this. I'm fanatical. You know, I call myself the Glenn Beck of tech. <laughs> um, right. But I, I just – I have to be extreme in my own household because I have a son who cannot disconnect. He cannot unplug. How old? He is, is he? he is about to turn seven. Okay. My daughter is nine. Okay. My daughter can disconnect. I can say, time to go to the grocery store, time to get your shoes on, we got to go. And she's, okay, mom. My son cannot handle it. He gets violent. Mm-hmm. He, that battery dies, and he will punch me. Mm-hmm. He will hit me. The mm-hmm. anger and the aggression that comes out in him. Is this what, is that, 
is that child more the motivation for why you saw this as a, a calling for you? To a- do? Absolutely. Okay. My own kids. I mean, it wasn't just the corporate America experience, but it was I'm seeing my own kid. Mm-hmm. And I live in a subdivision that has 120 houses. And let me tell you, it's all kids. Mm-hmm. And I and I see other kids even in my neighborhood that can't disconnect from it or some that start developing, you know, like twitches or and I, I yep. really think it's all the technology. I mm-hmm. So I had to pull it completely. I had to cold turkey take it away. That was August of last year. And, uh, I haven't looked back because it's toxic for yeah, him. Take it it's away. T- what do you mean? It, I mean, they have zero screen time. Zero. Still? I mean, at some point you had to do that. Zero. It's not always a solution, but sometimes <laughs> I'm not you had lying. to do it. So zero. I'm not like, Oh, we monitor it and limit it. And we set the timer, which I think some parents really do do that. I think some are in denial and lying to themselves. The other thing that I think is funny is, you know, when you used to, when you go to the physician's office and you fill out the, um, you know, how much do you smoke? How mm-hmm. much do you drink? And mm-hmm. they always say, doctors usually double or triple that. Like, yeah, yeah we know you're yeah. only not having, you know, one cigarette a week. If you ask a parent nowadays, if this, if the word screen time comes up, it's like, it's like, oh, oh no, we we limit it. We it's only uh, thirty minutes, and or they only get it on the weekends, or oh, if their homework's done, and you're thinking. Right. You know, I mean, it's that when you are lying to yourself about something, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. When you're lying about something the same way you would lie about a substance. Right. Or using a substance. I mean, that's where we are. Well, and (laughs) and let's look at it, too, from a standpoint. And oftentimes, and you clearly are modeling to your kids a certain way and and you get it. Parents ought to know, too, that, you know, their activity, because I have to tell you, for the past you know, month and a half or so, I've been on my phone nonstop, as you can imagine, and responding to texts and doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm getting text. I, I, I have, you know, Ryan the other day was saying, dude, how many texts do you get in a day? And I, I get hundreds of them from people who I'm dealing with to, to try to build a brand and Radio Free Alma and that kind of thing. And so it's been kind of a I know for a fact that my 13 year old is watching me on my phone quite a bit. And the other day, I, I had to really be careful because he and I are driving, and I am getting texts. And one of the things I really have, have tried with, with my son Aiden is when I'm driving in the car with him, I don't want him on his phone. I want to talk to him because that's the very few times we're headed out to the MAC or something. Th- th- those are the very few times we have time to kind of just chat and talk. And so I just don't want to have him on his phone the whole time. But I, and I, so I noticed that he's starting to get that, and so we're in the car, and his phone is down, my phone is down, but my phone dings. I'm actually waiting for a text from somebody, somebody to get it back to me. But my phone dings, and the minute I pick it up, he picks his phone up, mm-hmm. and, and that's not his problem. Uh, and, but but he's he's taking his cues that's from fair. what I'm that's doing. Fair play. You know, yeah, he's he taking his cues right. mm-hmm. from 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 what I'm doing, but so. Imagine how, in a, in a more of a macro sense, what's happening when you are an adult who basically is tethered to your technology all of the time. And that makes a big difference. I mean, when they're, you know, when they're seeing, you know, I'm not on Snapchat or anything like that, but it doesn't matter. You still have the phone in front of your face. You're still in the middle of cooking dinner, but you're also, you know, texting and all that kind of stuff, which is what I've been doing. But nonetheless, you got to be careful about that, too. Well, and, you know, there are times... In, in our life, and I'm a very honest person. I've used technology to busy my kids. You know, they had it at a restaurant uh, when we're waiting for the food when they were littler. Um, you know, but there were times looking back on it that 
my son would say, mom, 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 mom. Wow. And, and I would be like, oh, yeah, or half, half hear what he was saying to me because I was so into whatever I was looking at on my phone. And now that that, I've, I'm so conscious of, of my phone now. I'm so conscious of it. I'm, and getting back to the verbal competence portion, you know, you might get hundreds of texts a day and, and you need this tool for what you're doing with your, with your business and your life. But let's not forget, we developed the skills that I'm talking about. We've developed those. We grew up without this. Mm-hmm. We, we called and talked to somebody on a landline for hours and tied it up, and then we got call waiting. And, right. and we went outside and played with kids. And yeah. we, we developed v- very basic, casual communication skills that these kids do not – they're not developing it today. Mm-hmm. And I love all the tools that come – or all the, the – uh, Simplest simplicities that have come from tools. You tools. call them tools. tools. That's a key and they, distinction. They should tool. be tools. That's what his is. You know, as right. far as he's using his. So, and yeah. I, I love our kids learning coding in school, and I love STEM and all of that. That's instructor led, yeah. and they're learning how to navigate technology in the business world someday. But socially and emotionally, they don't need all this garbage. They yeah. just don't need. And what it. about There's, handwriting? Oh, it's. I mean, trying to yeah. watch a kid write a letter. Like we, used to, you know, we're about in the same age group ish. So we, we used to say cliche. What did we do before we had our phones? Now it's like, what the did well, we my, do? Well, my I know, but my my handwriting still stinks. Okay, and I didn't have a phone. You know what I mean? But it's, mm-hmm. that's just because I'm just I don't know what yeah. my problem is. But as I've always said, I'm a two point <laughs> six guy, so I'm not a four point guy. That's just what I've been my whole life. I'm sure so. there are four people who don't have great handwriting. Uh, but I mean, possibly. look at physicians. They are doctors. Okay? Physicians right, exactly. cannot. They're terrible yeah. handwriting. Uh, but you know, speaking of that though because because you and I talked a little bit about this too whereas uh well like for instance uh VHS tapes Disney VHS tapes with my older kids had guaranteed a lot of quiet time when I was a kid we'd come home and watch Gilligan's Island after school and eat now and laters and do everything else and 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 I talked about how oftentimes when people are confronted with this issue regarding technology, it's like, well, it's no different than us just sitting in front of a TV. But with Snapchat and technology, there's, there's, just, there's this other social level there, this c- connectivity level that's different than just sitting in front of a TV. And, and sitting in front of a TV it might be disengaging by itself, but sometimes it's the engaging process itself with a cell phone or an iPad, whatever, that actually it'd be better if you just sat there and watched something as opposed to constantly having to interact or, you know, type abbreviations and all that kind of stuff. So it does make a difference. It's not the same, in other words. Do you know, I know a a high school girl who told me that uh, her snap streaks are very, very important because you're letting a person know, this is fascinating, you're letting a person know if you are friends, if you end the streak, if you end your streak, if you decide to stop taking pictures of your toe or the, that light switch over there, for that person, you are ending the relationship. I said, oh, are you, you mean virtually, like you're not – she said, no, like we're not friends anymore. We're not friends anymore. I said, so if somebody upset you, like tried to steal your boyfriend or, you know, whatever, you just stop the streaks – and you let that person know we are no longer friends. She said, that's absolutely right. And I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to, you know, I'm really upset with you because you did this to me and maybe we should talk this through. But we can just virtually kill a relationship off 
and never have a discussion about with it. With a push of a button. With a, with a, yeah. or, or a non-push of a or button. A no longer yeah. <laughs> taking the, pa- I, mean, it just, I was mortified. I thought, this is, this is what's happening now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how are schools, like, for instance, how did you, Lindbergh, I guess, because you're kind of a, so you know people in that district, whatever. How are schools reacting to this? And how does it, where does it play in a curriculum? Like, where does it play in a school? So it could be used to supplement language arts. It could be used at an, at an indoor recess. It could be used in a, in a homeroom. If there's a morning homeroom, let's do one of these activities to get ourselves going and start the day off. There's many ways it can be incorporated, and it doesn't have to be every day. It could be once a week. It could be once every couple of weeks because, in my opinion, very much like the American Heart Association, they say – 20 minutes of moderate activity every day is better than if you did nothing at all. And so I'm thinking, if you just do one of these exercises once a week with your students, it's better than if we did nothing at all. Because right now, there's nothing happening. Yeah. I mean, you may have a proactive teacher who has the kids stand up and do, you know, um, a presentation or uh, have them go around in a circle and share something that they did over the weekend, which is, you know, those are great things to do. But I I don't think that this is a focal point yet. You hear the administration and you hear the educators say, oh, these kids, it's it's a nightmare. They're off. They're, and I, I hate saying that about our our kids. They don't deserve Let that. They're not some, nightmares. Let me give you some optimism here. My son's about to start teaching at Dismet. He just graduated from SLU. Uh-huh. He carried his phone like a chain on his ankle his whole like He sees what you're talking about. He is... He resents the fact that his generation and his life has been spent staring at a little screen and that it's not a distraction. It's a diversion from life. He sees it, and he's only 24. Wow. He gets it. And so when you guys, when you do start talking more about this, he will, he will listen, and he will be interested it. in this discussion. And he's going he's gonna to be a teacher to a bunch of freshmen at Dismet. Fantastic. And he's going he's gonna, to, he, he, he believes it and has lived it. And he's really resentful that he feels a, a large chunk of, because he's listened to me tell stories about my Growing up and all the crazy things we did, and what, you know what what friends used to be like, and what yeah. we and he 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 resents the fact that he feels he's been he's been cheated. Sort Tell of him way. about learnwithmoxie.com. He'll bring that into dismay. Yeah, you know, I'm not kidding. He is adamantly that's, opposed that's to the whole what yeah. you're talking about. He would be right on there with you as far as awesome. you know. Get these things out of our hands. Get them out of our hands. You know, and um, also by the way, they're used as a. It's weird because unlike when we used to go and you either would play hide and seek or do whatever, or you would come home and watch Lost in Space, you weren't using Lost in Space or Ultraman as a means of bullying or punishing. And one of the things you just talked about the administration, like Melania, that's her thing. Uh, is this is the cyber bullying and all that kind of stuff? And these tools kind of allow that. You just talked about the Snapchat unfriending or whatever that is. And that is a that's a that's a form of of harm. I'm not I'm not trying to be a snowflake here. What I'm saying is that does hurt kids uh, when when it comes to this kind of immediate dismissal by some object out there at the hands of a couple of fingers. Well, you know, the, they're talking more and more about the suicide rate among these teenagers. You know, the suicide rate. Yeah. And you know, I I, know, I realize that we shouldn't get on the gun control topic, but. We're, we're so, you know, all these school shootings are blamed on guns, 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 and guns. And how do we get these guns out of the schools? And, and I'm thinking, you know, guns have been around forever. Yes. Guns have been around forever. What is the one thing that hasn't been around forever? Yeah. Yeah. Can so somebody so help me yeah. realize that, or help others realize that, that the phone mm-hmm. is a new thing. The, the internet, yeah. 
and all those Googling and the searching and the things that these kids can get their hands on. But no one is thinking about that as a weapon. That can't possibly be a weapon, but that gun is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always, another analogy I use is that, and I've told you this several times, the butcher knife or the kitchen knife. It's, you would never give an 18 month old a knife without, first of all, they're not, they're not, their dexterity and their motor skills are not there yet to, to use it properly. And if they are using it, they're going to injure themselves, possibly even fatal, right? Mm -hmm. So you would never do that. You wouldn't even give it probably to a three-year-old unless you had some genius culinary kiddo. But but yet, we'll give these kids free access to all of these horrible things, and yet we're not thinking that 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 can be deadly. And I've I've been saying for a long time, these phones are weapons. They can be weapons for these kids. You know, and, and, and that's, that's why I think you're, this is really groundbreaking, and I know that other people have been concerned about it, and parents have been confused about, like, what to do or how to do it, but I've never seen anything kind of put into a formula, not, not, maybe not a formula, but, but in, a, in, in the form of a package, uh, where I would imagine that even if you're just a parent, learning with Moxie could be something you just have at home. Absolutely. I mean, you could, you could have it at home and, you know, my daughter's going to hate me someday. Right now she's nine and she, you know, she, this is all funny. Learn with Moxie. And, but I mean, I've had kids over to the house and we've done some of these activities. Right. Instead of the sleepover being musically videos and, you know, everybody on their devices, we do some of these activities and the kids love them. They have a blast and we're all together and we're having fun and we're laughing and sharing and talking and communicating. And it's, it's just beautiful. It's, you know, at home, you know, one, one way that could make it really great at home is if it slices, dices and cuts julienne fries, that'd be even better. <laughs> put that, put that, add that to learn with Moxie. There you go. Cool. So uh, what is your, I know that you, it, was it 25 years with the Muni, Muni Opera? Okay. 25 years. So what was your, uh, I've, that I know I've seen you. Chances are. Chances uh, are. On stage. And so, like, what do you, do you, first of all, do you miss it? Because you can still do it, obviously. I have, I have days that I do. I, you know, at the end there when I was, I was kind of like, you know, I think I could, I could take a break from all of this. But now that my kids are older, there is a part of me that kind of wants to show off for my kids. Mm. Like, look what mom can do. I look know, at mom in a I wig bet. and a costume. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you, you teach dance at Coriezu, right? I do. Yep. I do. I teach these fantastic young women, and it's uh, it's a it's a blast. It's great. I'm pioneering the program. They've never had a dance program in all of Coriezu's, uh, you know, years well, of uh, inception. Yeah, just first time here. Well, then you could probably do Learn with Moxie the musical. You could come up with something like that. <laughs> wow. You know, that'd you be know, great. I, I knew I, that was coming, by the way. I, I, <laughs> Learn with Moxie well, on already, ice. I've already done a song. Uh, you have? Yeah. Why are you, you pointing at my it? computer? Is it on there? It? Yeah, it's on YouTube. It is? Yeah. Wait a minute. I found okay. It. You did? I did. So, you know the song McCavity from Cats? Yeah. So, the two o'clock in the morning one night, you know, I can't sleep and my mind is going. So, I, McCavity, hmm, three syllables, technology, or four, not, sorry, three, dear God, right. four <laughs> syllables, I'll be all right. Um, and I just changed all the words. Is it every day I have the blues? It's no. a, it's a, go to YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Okay, hang on. It's it's long. You know, you won't. Well, it, no, no. We've got time, don't you? This is Radio Free Almond. This isn't uh, this isn't dinosaur right. radio here. I, I can do whatever I damn well. I have a Viagra commercial on coming up here. We can oh, okay. wait. We can okay. yeah. We can handle this. Yeah. All right. Where is, is it, baby? Right here. Uh-huh. Those are my kiddos too. Let me see. Technology. 
cheese a mystery? It's how we do it all. From texting, dating. Wait, you. This is a Learn with Moxie song. Sounds like this, Kate, it is the Kate musical. Bush. Sounds like Kate Bush. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Unfair. It is Learn with Moxie the musical. Mailing. There's no need for a call. It's a bafflement for parents who are crying in despair. My kid is right in front of me, but really there, not there. Love it. <laughs> it's great. These are the things I do at 2 o'clock in the morning. Technology, technology, there's nothing like technology. It's fast, efficient, global too. It's boosted our economy. The power it has on us has put us in a stare. We walk around like zombies and we clearly are. Not there. I love it. You can That's keep awesome. your snap streaks going with a photo of a hair. Right nice. I have to meet your son. Comments. You but will. But I tell you once and once again, society's impaired. Executives nice, Chia. Are you playing the drums too? No, I'm not that talented. I bet you could. I'm a tap dancer, so I, I love the percussion. You could. Your rhythm is probably pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who? There's a whole like, there's a lot, a lot of this going on there. <laughs> you know, with the drums. Who shot the pictures? My graphic designer put all of that. Together. Oh, I thought maybe I thought maybe you had Susie Gorman over there because we were talking no. about her last night. I know Susie. I mean, Hi, Susie. We know Susie too. Susie's fantastic. She's a star, and she loves this whole brand. And she's she's my U City girl, you know. Oh yeah, because we and we, know. Yeah, we hung out in U City a little bit. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. to a, to a, to a, a picnic table uh, uh, near the playground at Flynn Park. Wow. Yep. Well, no, but it's not anything. Uh, there wasn't no Go on. No, no, it was it was it was like smoking. Was smoking. It was it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. doing anything out of that. But yeah, Susie was was yeah. I love Susie. She's yeah, been everybody my loves Susie for lot, lots of years. She's great. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so okay. So, what was your favorite musical show you were in at the Muni? Okay, so Forty Second Street and Crazy for You are huge tap shows. So those are very near and dear to my heart. However, I had the occasion to do. Titanic. Oh, wow. And it was directed by Don Stevenson, who is incredibly talented. And Paul Blake cast me in it because, I mean, it's a massive singing show. And I can carry a tune, but I'm, I'm, I'm a dancer who sings, mm-hmm. not a singer. In a chorus. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay. not, you know, I'm not diva. The, the voices in Titanic are amazing. And the music is amazing. But Paul Blake, there's a, there was a character named Madame Aubert. And she walks across the stage and he just, he thought that I had nice shoulders and that I could <laughs> walk across the stage. And, and I'm thinking, I'm in this massive singing show with all of these fierce singers. Yeah. But I mean, it's just the story of the Titanic and the music. It was just, oh, I, cry, I pretty much cried every night. Paul was, Blake was great. Uh, I thought he did a really good job there. I thought I didn't, one thing I'd never understood about Paul Blake is why he ran onto the stage when he was doing his thing, like why, why run and everything else. But that's the only thing I, only thing I had an issue with is why You do he realize that. that's a football field. Uh, yes, I do. So it's you got to like get out there. Yes, I know. Because if you walk from the wing to the center of the stage, the audience is going. <sighs> right. But do you have to run like that though? I mean, you know. I'm just kidding. So, what do you think? Wow. Of, what, what do you think? What did you think about? What did you think about? No, Paul Blake was awesome. I mean, you know, 
He brought he brought life back to that theater. He absolutely it was, did. It was not going well. Yes, it was not. And and there's only so much in the way. Like Brigadoon's a great show, but you don't have to have it every year. And so I thought that he did a he did a good job in terms of you know mixing it up a little right. bit. And and although you work with, the, I mean, I have to tell you, and it's Jacobson, right? Who's is Mike he, Isaacson? Mike uh, Isaacson. Oh, uh, I think. Some of the stuff, listen, my family, we're, we're through my wife's family, we're season ticket holders there. So we go to the shows all the time. Mm-hmm. And I've appreciated some of what Isaacson has done Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Uh, and then some of it's kind of like a little off track. But other than that, I mean, but you, I think you have to mix it up because you have to create new generations of, of muni goers and make it accessible and, you know, it, Another version of Brigadoon really isn't always going to get you there. Right, and I think Mike does a good job of keeping some of the um, the traditional, you know, old school musicals that your longtime season ticket, hold, ticket holders still want to see, the Oklahomas and the Brigadoons. Mm-hmm. But he also has brought the contemporary and, uh, you know, more pop culture musicals to the Muni for the, as you said, the younger mm-hmm. generations because – we want again cultural. We want our kids to still support theater. We want them to enjoy it, and they're probably going to enjoy something like Rent mm-hmm. yeah. a little more than something like you know Oklahoma, right? Or you know right. Music oh, Man. Oh, for sure. For yeah. Sure. So mm-hmm. he's done a good job of of bringing yeah. that that life and energy. I had I think Isaacson. I've had him on before on the show, and he kind of looked at me uh, oddly last time I saw him, and I think that had to do with the fact that I raked Jesus Christ Superstar oh. over the coals, because it's one thing to have the show, Jesus Christ Superstar, but to change the formulation to where Judas is the star, that's not cool. And to make Jesus into some wimpy little heroin addict, I didn't appreciate so I said that on the air, and I don't think Isaacson because I saw him. I, usually, he's like very friendly and everything else. I don't think he was. I loved very happy. that review. That I remember that morning when I loved it. I made several memes. I was um, several memes in, in jest. Uh, I was inflamed, and I, I, in hindsight, I probably you know necessarily didn't have to be that over the top with it, but. Uh, you know, I I grew up listening to Jesus Christ yeah, Superstar you know on like an album. You know what you're talking about. You know. so, yeah. I found out last night that he pioneered the drama program at U City. Like, Isn't that he, amazing? Yeah, his. Isn't that amazing? I I refer to you as theatrical, and then it comes out last night that he is he in is. fact he wanted to be yes. theatrical. That's his that's his it. dream. That's our that's, that's our theory. That's why we mm-hmm. like each other. Well, so much. you know, it, yes, indeed, and 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 I try to tell this story because I I was. Uh, and I told you and Suzanne this last night, and I tell the kids this because kids think grades don't matter. Now, and again, I, I would not, in hindsight, even with my own life, I would not do anything different than what I've done. I have beautiful children, and if I went the other way, perhaps I would, whatever. But what my initial plan was, was uh, I... Was I started a theater program at U City and and then went to University of Wisconsin, but people go, why'd you go there? I go, well, it was kind of the only school I got accepted to, to tell you the truth, uh, because at that time they were doing reciprocal stuff and everything else, and you could get in-state tuition there and everything else, 
and because my sights were set on 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 higher levels. So uh, I applied. I don't know how why I did this to Carnegie Mellon. I applied to Juilliard. I applied to New York University, which is really I where I say. wanted to go, and I wanted to be in their theater program up at New York University. So I went to Chicago. Uh, I auditioned for their their theater program there, and I did a bit from uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and I auditioned for New York University, and they were loving it, and I was basically in at New York University's theater school uh, at that time. I think it was the Tisch Tisch School of the Arts. School of the Arts, yeah. And then I got noticed because I was with a lot of people. And then I got noticed that I wasn't, I wasn't accepted after all because my grades weren't good enough. So there I was. I, I, I slammed this audition. They were like hugely impressed. And I went all the way to Chicago. And I was just like, this was great. And I'll never forget it. At the, um, the, uh, I don't can't remember what the, what the Palmer House is where we had it, and so I'll never forget. And, and they were like, "This is great, you're amazing, and we can't wait to get you on board." And blah blah blah. And then, but then they would go back to St. Louis and get the news that because and I had like a two point six grade point average, and and had I had a three point two, mm-hmm. I would have been at New York University. I would have been doing what I really kind of wanted to do. Uh, you know, I worked on the school newspaper and did all kind of that kind of stuff. And I, I used to, in my up in my uh, room, I used to, you know, put the pencil in between the two binders and speak into it like I was a sportscaster, that kind of thing. But but still, I wanted to be in that in that program and that kind of thing. But I tell the kids, grades do matter. I mean, it it it, it, it can make or break you. And the only reason I didn't get accepted with the grade levels because there were a lot of there's a lot of competition, yeah. and the only way they can they can decide and i guess you can be outstanding and amazing that might be true but sometimes there are a hundred outstanding and amazing people and you have to figure out a way to decide how you're going to choose and and it just so happens that the grades Mm -hmm. happen to be the way that they they chose they drew a a line and you were just under the line for the grades man right you know every year they have that poll where you can choose what you believe that you want the muni to perform oh yeah yeah we always put the man of la mancha and they never do it Mm -hmm. so i'm endlessly frustrated with that amazing that's an amazing show yeah love it i could have been i could have been could have been the next don quixote i could have been can i say something about the commencement speech Mm. Um, yeah, you better make it brief because I was just about to okay. do Richard Burton's <laughs> so version I, of Camelot. And, and let me tell you something about this okay. real quickly before you get to that okay. regarding that, because that, that, that commencement speech was uh-huh. awesome. Uh, do not tell me that Richard Harris is as good as Richard Burton was in Camelot. Okay. Okay. Right. It, 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 that shall not uh, be. Do you agree? I truth. need somebody to I back do, this up. I do agree. Okay, oh. I do agree. Well, then, I'm then you're okay. then you're free to talk about the commencement. Okay. I just want to make so sure that was my test. I listened. To, well, I listened since I woke up this morning, but I listened to that on the way in to the show, and I was so pumped. That man says everything I believe in. Oh, just I was yeah. we, I was weeping. Paul Kurtman said the same thing. Oh. Like, I was so glad to hear that when I coming in. Even Matt said I was kind of having a bad morning, and yeah. that just got me right back. Do not yeah. ring the bell. Right. Was was right. The, the final one? But when he talked about how. Even in the deepest depths of darkness, you must remain calm, which is what they had to do 
I, when he talked about about going into that hull, I and know. they and they knew that it was like the darkest part of the of the ship, and blah, blah blah, and you had to remain calm. All these lessons, and in fact, I've been, I I have never, I had never seen it before. Apparently, lots of people had already seen that before because it was legendary even when it first popped in two thousand fourteen. Paul Kurtman said he'd watched it fifteen times over when it first came out. But boy, is is that not? Ugh. Just the best lesson. Everything that he talked about, every every time he had a, a change the world moment, you know, make your bed. You, you can change the world by making your bed. You can change the world by, uh, what did he say? Find people who help you paddle. <laughs> and so I'm driving in here and I'm going, Jamie is Jamie's helping me paddle. <laughs> you know, and every single thing that he hit on, I could think of either someone in my life whose heart is bigger than their flippers or who right. and I'm and it doesn't matter if you're a college graduate or if you are an adult embarking on a new journey like you are yes and like I am it doesn't matter that that speech is such a pump you up oh yeah I mean thank it, you for playing that it oh, was so wonderful yeah, th- I, thank you I do appreciate it too oh. yeah it was great it, it, it's uh, when I saw it I I was like I, I was floored because on so many levels, like you, Gia, and you, Phil, we've always we, we we've we've found places where we've lived like that before, but we've also found places where we haven't, and and where we were just right there, and we rang the bell, and you know, it, it, what if you hadn't? Oh, absolutely. Right? What if you hadn't? Yeah, and 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 to my point too, after what happened at ninety seven one, that was where, you know, sometimes you just you, 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 it's easy to ring the bell. And easy to say, you know what? I'll just go do something else to slink away. That wasn't going to happen. So when I when I saw that for the first time uh, the other night mm-hmm. and, and sort of played, I was like, "Wow, I, this really reaches into me Resonate. and mm-hmm. really touches me." So I'm glad you like that. Loved it. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think every kid. Oh, I'm playing it for my kids <laughs> yeah, when, they, when I get home today. They're yes. going to hear that. Yeah. Because they're. I mean, making the bed is. It really is. Mm-hmm. A, an amazing point. I'm a, I'm a bed maker. Yeah, I know that. Me too. I'm a bed maker, and my kids are bed makers. Mine are. And you know what? I'm a I'm a little <laughs> I'm a little OCD Virgo, and I like everything to be perfect. I'm a Virgo too. Are you? When's your birthday? Nine nine. I'm nine seventeen. All right. Yeah. But I'm I'm big on that, and you know, there's a part of me that wants them to do it perfectly. You know, because I'm I'm a little perfectionist. Mm-hmm. But I stopped getting on them about the perfection mm-hmm. and just the fact that they're doing it, and I praise them for that because That's awesome. That is how it starts. And I love that he said that's one task that you have accomplished for the day. Mm-hmm. And I love that he said if the day goes to crap, mm-hmm. you can come home to a made bed. I, I mean, like, yeah. I like punching the shark in the snout. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah. Uh, the so. Suzanne Vanker, if, when you guys two get together, she's oh. a big fan of Jordan Peterson, who I'm a big fan of. And he's yeah. one of these stand-up straight kind of guys who's taking it back to like that the kind of mentality. Yeah. And we need that. I love it. We mm-hmm. we listened to a clip that she sent us last night. Well, time. yeah, and I sent you guys the clip of him breaking Dyson to... down. No, she right. sent a cl- article. article of Jordan, and then and then I was telling it wasn't it wasn't Degrassi. It was Dyson. It was Dyson. I get those two mixed up yeah. for some reason. But I, but he dismantled this guy in this debate over white privilege, and Jordan Peterson was just like, "Wow, it was amazing." I played it on the show I've heard last pl- week, yeah. I think. And it was, and 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 that's what's great too about having this format, is that I just played the whole darn thing. I mean, I, and and that's like even with his commencement speech. Oftentimes in our medium, I could never, I could never, I could never. Well, maybe I could, but I I go over the break time. Mm-hmm. 
I could I couldn't play a fifteen minute, sixteen minute piece of audio. But that's I couldn't talk to you for forty five minutes. I, I know. Awesome. I just looked at you the know? clock and I thought I love it. Boy, we, Jamie might have other things he wants to get to before we wrap this up today. Well, this is important. I mean, I, you know, and again, tomorrow we'll. I have a, I had a bunch of things to talk about today, but I wanted to talk about this today. So I love you, Jamie. I love you too, Gia. It's radio free, all men. It's amazing. That's you right. two are Virgos, but I'm a Pisces. And oh, I, we do wow. well with Pisces. Yeah, I know do. you do. We do. Mm-hmm. I don't really follow astrology, but I, my Neither. mom is a Pisces, so I know this. Pisces is, <clears throat> is my marriage house. Mm-hmm. It's our marriage house. Okay. But I don't think it necessarily means marriage. Mm-hmm. I think it just means... Did you marry a Pisces? I didn't. What'd no. you marry? I married don't a... Don't say cancer. I married a Scorpio. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's a marriage house? You mean like a... I don't know. I just oh. know the name. It's like oh. the it's third a, cycle of the, Venus or something. the Venus. Know, whatever, exactly. yeah. We sound so. like we know what we're talking about. Right. Right. No, I do know. Sometimes I can tell... The signs of, of people. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but I would never have pegged you as a Virgo. I could have guessed you were a Virgo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it takes, I, takes one to know one. I huh? could have, yeah. Yeah, maybe that, yeah, maybe it does take a, a similar one. The I least could, understood of all signs, they are say. They? That's what they say. I could see, I could detect a Pisces a mile away. Do you hear that, hu- husband? Do you hear that? <laughs> the least understood. The least that's understood. what you guys think. <laughs> that's, <laughs> part of the, that's, what, that's, that's part of the thing that they say about Virgos, that they always claim they're least understood. Isn't that just what a Pisces would say, though? <laughs> totally. Right there? Totally, I mean, wow. yes. Wow. And, you know, uh, Pisces know all the words to, uh, to Camelot. He does. It's true. It's true. It's true. The crown has, has made it clear. <laughs> the climate must be perfect. Oh, yeah. Our law was made a distant moon ago here. July and August cannot be too hot. And there's a legal limit to the snow here. In Camelot. Oh, sorry. Camelot. You prematurely so camelotted. I know. <laughs> you go this. You do this one. Pick up this one, will you? I don't know this. I don't know all of it. See, I'm not a Pisces. In Camelot. Nice. Camelot. Camelot. I know it sounds a bit bizarre. I don't can't sing very well. You're great. But in Camelot. Camelot. That's how conditions are. Come on, Matt. The rain may never fall till I'm Tell it all the words. I know the other ones. That's amazing. You're good. You're really good. He's awesome. Maybe you need to do a show. He's got a great genial spot for happy ever aftering than here. Sorry. In Camelot. Love this. The original Broadway version, not the one with Richard Harris in it. Do you not like and Richard Robert Harris Goulet. at all? No, I just don't okay. like him doing this. Okay, man. Right. No, not in Camelot. Camelot. <laughs> Camelot. I know it sounds a bit bizarre. Oh, no. Sorry. But in Camelot. This is. This might be the the best Tuesday morning I've had in a long time. You think Isaacson will bring back Camelot? If he hears, if he hears this, he will. Starring James. You're auditioning Paul. right now. Starring. Starring James. Oh. Oh. Then here 
in Camelot. Wow, he went up. He went up. And my, it's weird that I don't, part of the reason I don't know the words is because when my dad would have it playing on the electrophonic, he wouldn't know the words either, but he'd always go, Camelot! And so, he, you know, he'd, he'd be in the car, he'd go, Camelot! You know, that's how he did I'm so impressed. I had no idea. I mean, you do your. He knows all the words to the on... album behind him as oh, well, yeah. as do I. We oh, there's Man of the Lancha. Coincidentally, both grew up listening to that particular album. Yeah. Yeah. And Joan Diner. Amazing. Which one is this? This was a. Uh, oh yeah, Richard Kiley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why that's a shaving basin? That is not a shaving basin. <laughs> it's a helmet. It's the golden helmet of Membrino. Mm-hmm. Golden helmet. Come on, knife killer. I know it. Of Mandrino. I want to do. Uh, little, little, do- little bird is one of my favorite ones. Oh yeah. It's such a. Taunting, aren't you Aren't song. you performing at the event this weekend? I'm doing this. DJ. Could you do some Man of La Mancha? We're, oh, oh, buddy! We, I, sure I told can. him about I the. Play it all. I told him about the, the possibility of doing a little karaoke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah. so we might do that. You gonna come out to this? Yeah. Are you? We're coming. Now we're doing Absolutely. karaoke then for sure. Oh. I have to meet Doug Giles and dance your your thing on Saturday. So family friendly. We're gonna bring the kids. Definitely bring the kids. In the Naputi Bounce House. Yeah, the Naputi Pediatrics Bounce House. Yeah. It'd be great. And we've got some... Do you drink beer? You don't look like you drink beer. She does. I'm more of a wino. (laughs) However, there's a Bud Light Orange right now. Oh, there is? That is is very refreshing. Oh, Bud Light Orange, huh? But, I mean, that's kind of girly, the the orange thing. Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. But even the Bud Light Lime was a stretch for me. Why? You know, see, I think you... uh, Do you know, I think you could sing some of the Man of La Mancha stuff. You could uh, you could sing um, Dulcinea. Yeah, Dulcinea. Yeah. Let me see here. Do you know oh, I've never here. done the show, so I'm not you know. It's the best. Yet. It's the best show ever. Yeah. What do you want of me? Uh. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you do these things? Why do great song. Joan Diener is like something else. Song. My, I know every word of this backwards and forwards. We, when my, we traveled around and my dad had the eight track of this and eight tracks all loop, you know, and we'd go on trips and things like that. And this would play for five hours. Over and over again. Wow. I did love this. Wow. We had a yellow gremlin with an eight track in it. Nice. Yellow, yellow gremlin. A yellow gremlin. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Days. Don't you oh, wish yeah. you knew where oh, that thing was? Totally. I had an idea a long Trudy's time ago. Car. We were trying to. <laughs> <laughs> not only does she not get technology, she's driving a yellow gremlin. Her, she, her life would be horrible. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, you know, we used to, uh, I, I, I had an idea a long time ago, but it never came to fruition because they don't have the technology to be able to trace the cars these days, you know, a VIN number. Yeah. So I had this idea where, for a reality TV show where we would go and try to find the car you grew up in. Because like if it, like uh, nowadays, if you, if, you, if you grew up in like a, a 
you know, like a LeSabre or something, you're probably not going to find anywhere. Or a, right. a Mercury Sable. You know, you're not going to probably find a Mercury. Where, where's my that Mercury Sable my right. mom was driving in 1983? But if it's like a 66 old, like my dad, or like a 72 mm-hmm. LTD that mm-hmm. he had, uh, I'd love to know. Because you know that thing somewhere. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you can't really find We tried it. We actually were going to, you know, we, people give us pictures. But if you don't have the... If you don't have the VIN number, and now now you can, even if you do, you can't trace it, you know. So, I wonder if Suzanne Banker knows these songs. Maybe she could sing. I bet she does. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really. I couldn't peg her musical taste last night. No, we didn't. We didn't get into that. But you two together, man, I'll tell you, it's gonna be a good show. That's gonna be a great show because we were leaving, and. I was just standing there watching those two talk. I was thinking, okay, oh, yeah. I, I would listen to this. Absolutely. We, uh, we made a little joke about, uh, who was it, Molly Shannon and <laughs> Peach Sweaty. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, tonight, today we're talking about corn yeah. Yeah, or something, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Molly Shannon. She yeah. was so great. Funny. I got a great SNL. story about her. She went on SNL. If she got famous, she went on a couple talk shows because she was getting famous, and that's how her student loans people found her. <laughs> so she had to write a check, one check for like forty-two grand that she did. They wow. didn't even—they couldn't find her until she got famous, and then they sent her a letter. And, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. She told that on Conan or something. I, thought, <laughs> I love it. That was yeah, it's wow. <clears throat> I love it. All right, so the website is learnwithmoxie.com. Check it out. Keep your eye out for Gia, who's going to be hopefully in here more regularly. But then also. Uh, with Suzanne, too, she's going to be coming in on a little bit. We're going to have kind of one of these culture segments, you know, that we do on a regular basis. And then eventually, hopefully, uh, these two will connect for a show on Radio Free Almond. But we to wrap to this up. I know. You know? Thank know, you for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. This You're the is best. so much fun being Say with you guys. Say hi to your mom, too. I will. We got to have her on one of these days. <laughs> she, she loves to rant and care. She'll be right here with you, sputtering and muttering about how <laughs> ridiculous the world is. And, you know. Sputtering oh, and muttering. Sputtering and muttering. Oh, yeah. She's no filter anymore. You hit 71, you don't, you don't have to have a filter anymore. We could, we could have, we could have a, a little segment called Sputtering and Muttering with Mom. Sputter, no, sputtering and muttering with Mama Valenti. Mm-hmm. We Is call her she- Gilbert Godfrey because she's like, <laughs> oh my, my husband and I call her Gilbert Godfrey. Wow. <laughs> because There's she's, the last nickname she's a I five want. foot two little right. brunette, mm-hmm. tiny, and she's like, you know, Gilbert. I love Gilbert. It. It's so funny. All oh. right, dear. Well, I guess I, well, I got to find the theme. Hold on a second here. I, c- I could take us out on the golden helmet bit, but I don't know. Hand it over. Hand it over. <laughs> Poor sick Don Quixote. <laughs> you know, real quickly though, Helmand. You know, one of the, the the great things about. Man of La Mancha and why it's such a great tale is that it ends where you really don't know whether or not the guy was really sick or really right. And, and, that, and that here is a guy who saw a shaving basin as a golden helmet 
And by some standards, that would be a beautiful, optimistic thing. And why that's not a shaving, that's a golden. But he perceived himself to be this thing, this person. But it wasn't only his perception that he, he perceived himself to be that person. He actually wanted to be that person. And that was a big deal. Yes. He wanted yep. the lost era of dignity and, and you know, just respect. And he, yeah. he was watching a similar degradation, I think, of society that we've seen in yeah. modern times. And Absolutely. Cervantes was right on top of it. Cervantes has been an inspiration for me because he didn't get famous until he was 65 years old. Yeah. And he wrote a book that's only been, you know, only the Bible really compares in publishings. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, gosh, if you can become that famous at 65, don't ever quit. Because... Wow, I mean Cervantes. Absolutely. You know? Plus, it changed the way I, I just looked at the world. I read it at an early age. Yeah. So I was moved by it. Well, I looked and, for my Dulcinea from that day forward. I looked for my. That's what I was. It may, changed the way I looked at women. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And helmets. <laughs> well, he was so he was so. His his optimism was mm-hmm. what really was so wonderful, mm-hmm. even though it was perceived as being kind of a. Uh, an illness, but, and and the the great thing about that production was that you really, in the end, didn't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The mirrors were turned on him, you know, and it it was all just such a deep. It is deep. deep It's brilliant. Well, this is, this is one of my favorite ones. A part of it is. Why do you follow him? That's easy to explain. It's because because why I like him I really like him tear out my fingernails one by one I like him so it was very it was that simple you know that that and and that were and in in many of our walks of life we know people who you might not necessarily get agree with but you like them and there's something about them that is just very likable and very warm and very this and very that. And yeah, it was great, great production, man. Great production. But you know what? We have to let it go. One day. Once a week. We could just geek out oh, on Man of La Mancha. I could geek on that big time. Big time. All right. Chia Valenti. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, those of you that (laughs) joined us today and every day. Keep joining Jamie and his movement. Yes, indeed. Radio Free Almond. Maybe you could get up on... We can do something from 42nd Street there in the parking lot of Discovery Design. Yeah. Let's do it. Knock it out. Bring my tap shoes. (laughs) All right, learn with moxie.com. Gia Valeni, you're lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.